You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and Rupert, bringing class to trash since 1977. The room was dark, it looked like someone had to get out fast. A window opened by the fire escape. Welcome to another episode of the GTTMC. This is episode 140, episode 140. Uh, I am Large William, and across the border from me, as always, pantsed in the finest of white leathers, is my fellow gentleman, Rupert. Hello, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have to ask how comfortable that is at three in the morning, but I guess they've been broken in fairly well by this time of the uh, night. Yes, absolutely. I, I like to sleep in them sometimes, you know. I don't blame you. Leather of that quality is worth sleeping in sometimes. Yeah, very comfy. <laughs> um, you guys have probably deduced by now that the uh, the dulcet tones of our southern cohort uh, aren't anywhere to be found, and that's because uh, he had to take the week off. He had some some shen- uh, some scheduling uh, snafus that, it, that just we couldn't kind of get everything ironed out, and life gets in the way sometimes, unfortunately. But uh, luckily. I was here on board this week to uh, to get things sorted for us. So this week, uh, it's interesting some of the parallels between this, these films, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we get into it. But uh, we're covering two films uh, in a genre we quite like, which is a crime genre, or kind of under the umbrella of crime. And the first one is 1953's The Big Heat, which is uh, a noir film from the legendary Fritz Lang. And uh, 20 years later, Duccio Tassari, a very underrated Italian uh, genre director decided to give us Tony Arzenta. So um, we'll get into those, I guess, shortly. But in terms of what we've been watching, what have you seen lately, Brian? Um, let's see. It's been a little while. I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, let's see here. Um, did I did I mention Attack the Block the last time I was on? I you didn't because I don't think it was out then. But I do know that you'd seen only through social networking, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, why don't you tell people about this? Because I know I had my eye on this one, and I know a few of us uh, really were looking forward to it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's been built up for a while since South by Southwest out here, and um, it just seemed right up my alley. And uh, got got a chance to see it at the L.A. Film Fest um, at the end of last month, and uh, took my son and my wife um, and met a couple people there, and and it it did not disappoint. You know, we all had a great time, and it's 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 a fantastic movie. And I will say it, it not surprisingly to me, it's my favorite film of the year at this point. Um, so uh, I highly recommend people seek it out. I, I know it's going to make a DVD and Blu-ray release um, UK wise in I believe September. I've already I think I already pre-ordered that um, just because it was I don't know it was just a really great little movie. So everybody should check it out when they can. Can I nutshell it as, and this may be oversimplifying it or I may be off the mark, but um, 
a cheekier British version of Super 8? Yeah, no, I mean, you could say, you can see they're definitely perhaps cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. Um, but, I mean, this is a little smaller in scale. Yeah, uh, but 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 it's it's really great. I mean, they're de- it's really interesting both films would come out so close together. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're interesting companion pieces to each other. But, uh, but I prefer this one. I feel like it's a little... I, I mean, I love Super 8, don't get me wrong. Um, but this one just somehow... Um, just got me just a little bit more, and it's just a little more, a little more of the eight, Joe Dante eighties that I sort of love um, than the Spielberg eighties. I love the Spielberg eighties too, you know. But but you know, Joe is Joe is one of my heroes. So anyway, um, I might have mentioned. I know you know, but uh, I saw Big Trouble Little China on the big screen with Carpenter there. Mm-hmm. Uh, took my son to that, which was really neat because I was twelve in nineteen eighty six when I saw it, and he's twelve right now. Oh man. So it was kind of a really cool serendipitous thing, and Carpenter was just the coolest. I mean, I mean, talk about amazing to see that guy live. He's so so so, so laid back, and so I asked him a couple questions, and you know, he was he was very nice. Although one of my questions, I, I look like an asshole because I didn't do my research, but there was that whole thing for a while, at least, about the um, Adventures uh, of Buckaroo Banzai sequel. That had been supposedly the script of that had been supposedly adapted into Big Trouble in Little China, but I think that's since been debunked. But I didn't realize that, so I asked him about it, and he was just like, "Yeah, not to my knowledge, <laughs> whatever." <laughs> so I look like kind of an asshole, but but I did find out that he is definitely uh, the horror master on Twitter. You know, that was my second stupid ass question, but he was nice about it. You know, he's like, "Yeah, that's me." You know, so um, even though it doesn't have a little official blue check next to it or whatever, that's definitely him. Um, oh, so. Wow. That was- but uh, anyway, so then we saw uh, Bridesmaids, which was pretty solid. Uh, funny little movie. Liked it a lot. Um, I finally saw Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which... What's, what's your th- Yeah, I was sorry to cut you What's your thoughts? Because i, I got to be honest. I know some people have had positive things to say, but I remember seeing a trailer before TIFF, and it just, it just did not appeal to me. I don't know, man. I mean, it's horror comedy. So, you know, right away we know that's not your favorite thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like they pulled it off, man. I mean... Without giving too much away, I mean the the this, the setup is kind of like uh you know it, it's definitely drawing from sort of a, a Texas Chainsaw kind of well, but playing it all for comedy in a lot of ways, like uh, just a lot of misunderstandings leading to a group of teenagers thinking that Tucker and Dale are um you know these psychotic killers when they're just really two sort of redneck you know dudes. Okay. So I don't know. I thought it was very clever the way they set up a lot of the stuff to look really bad, uh, and you know it's it's gory and whatnot. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I really uh, it'll definitely be if if I count it for this year. I don't know. It's in a weird state because it's sort of getting a release this year, but I think it's more or less video. Right. But anyway, I, if I count it for this year, it'll it'll be in my top ten. You know, it's it's it was I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Transformers three. Uh, not much to say about that. Um, Last Action Hero, uh, I watched on Blu-ray with my son and a friend of his um, last week. And man, that movie really surprised me. Like I'd forgotten how much how much fun it is and how much of a good spoof it kind of is, you know, for it, its time. 
Absolutely. Rick and I, it was one of the first ones we really talked about. I was like, hey, man, are you with me? Like, do you love uh, Last Action Heroes? Like, yeah, it's people don't talk about it. It is great, man. It's really great and it's really funny. And obviously being, you know, self-aware without being you know, overly, it, you know, it's just, it's a great, I think it's one of his films that no one talks about that deserves more discussion. Absolutely. I think it's a classic of the the um uh, you know an unheralded classic of the spoof genre. Like mm-hmm. uh, in in not quite as wacky as say Airplane, but but still in that canon and and not and not at all recognized. I just really think I mean when they return to the not to give too much away, but when they return to sort of the real world, there's some some could say there's some tonal issues that maybe don't get ironed out, but I actually have no problem with it, you know. Um and I think Schwarzenegger's really funny, playing it straight, and, you know, it's, it was, I don't know. I just was really surprised. I, I got the Blu-ray really cheap, like seven bucks or something. I'm like, well, this is really worth it. Uh, just really had a lot of fun with it. And one of the um, big things, sorry, but one of the big things about that, I know Emily saw it recently, and I meant to reply to her because I agreed, is the kid isn't annoying in it. No, he pulls it off. I mean, he, I think he, he's a little strained at times, but, but I don't, but I think he really, he definitely doesn't annoy me, and he... He has whatever is needed to get you there emotionally and not take you out, you know, which is definitely something that's hard for kids to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, I was really surprised how much we all enjoyed it. Um, uh, showed my wife uh, the Woody Allen movie Anything Else with Jason Biggs, which is on Tarantino's list of the top, you know, 20-whatever films since 1992. I guess he really likes it. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't really seen the whole thing all the way through. It's... It's uh, it's got some obviously shades of Annie Hall and other stuff where he's ripping himself off, but the character that Woody himself plays in it is pretty entertaining. He's just kind of he's kind of nutty, and he makes up he makes up these strange words and I don't know. It was entertaining. Jason Biggs can play the um, the Woody Allen uh, surrogate pretty well. Oh, totally. Um, and then my wife picked out Heather's the other night, um, which she hadn't seen since uh, it had been a long time, uh, and I hadn't seen in you know a good five six years. Um, and that holds up. That's a that's a, a neat little film that definitely wouldn't get made today. Absolutely. For a lot of so anyway, that's all I've been watching. Let me put down these orange slices. I'm eating. <laughs> like a like I'm, a, I'm like a child after a soccer game. <laughs> uh, it was a light week, man. It's going to be probably all summer, just because I haven't literally since uh, I finished work on Sunday. I haven't watched anything. It's just it's been so busy. I was saying, do you trying to take advantage of? the summer and the nice weather with the kids and, and all that. So I only got in, um, one, two, three, four, five films, which is still decent, you know, but, uh, it was a yeah, mixed bag this weekend. terms what I watched. Uh, first thing I watched was on Netflix instant. It was a documentary about Katrina called trouble the water. Um, it had been, I think nominated for best Oscar, for best Oscar, for best uh, documentary at the Oscars a couple years ago, I think it won the the jury prize at Sundance. Maybe I don't know. Uh, and full disclosure, I'm operating on no caffeine this morning because we started recording at 5:30 this morning, so I'm trying to go back to sleep for a bit before. And so I'm going to be a little bit. The wheels are going to be a bit uh, squeaky this morning. <laughs> um, it's pretty interesting, man. It, it a lot of the footage is shot by a woman and her husband. Um, during Katrina, like it's just them with their camera, not intending to make a documentary, just chronicling this crazy event in their life. They lived in the ninth ward, I guess it is. And, and it, it, it's as much as maybe it's a cliche. I think it's a real testament to, you know, 
humanity and the human spirit and there's some pretty poignant stuff in it and you know it does a lot of things that we may all know but i think it's it's a good reminder of some of those things and it's it's just sad that you know the failure of, of all that so i mean there's people that have said it a lot better than myself but uh, but it was good man as a human interest piece um it was quite good i, I really enjoyed it um and i decided to shift gears completely and watch the eureka uh, print of uh, a pretty cool little French animated film I've been trying to watch for a couple of years now called Fantastic Planet. Oh, nice! What do you think? Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It's yeah. uh, I really like it. You know, obviously the animation style. Would it, you know? To, I wonder how kids it would play with for kids like today. Like I wouldn't mind showing my kids at some point um, because it even looks and it is older than the stuff from Heavy Metal. Like I think it's like early seventies, yeah. like seventy three, seventy four. <clears throat> but I dug it, man. I thought. It was it was quite fun, you know. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Had had some good things to say. So I've been to see it for a couple of years ever since I caught House Who through Eureka. So it uh, didn't disappoint. Um, I don't know James. Yeah, I picked, sorry, I was gonna say I picked up the Blu-ray. I think it's Eureka put out the Blu-ray too, um, Region B, mm-hmm. uh, and it looks looks great. You know, for for that animation, it looks really good. Oh yeah, no, it's fantastic. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> then. It was time for me to get into my Fuller education. Oh, nice. You're starting that? Yeah, so a couple Very films cool. in. Uh, first one I watched was The Crimson Kimono, mm-hmm. which I like, man. Uh, yeah. You know, James Shagita is really good in it. Um, gosh, I can't remember the other guy's name in it now. I'm blanking, too. Yeah, I don't know. But basically, it's about, yeah, you know, for those that don't know, it's about two detectives. One's Japanese-American, one's American. Uh, they're investigating the murder of a prostitute and because a bit of a love triangle of reverse racism and stuff. I like this one quite a bit. Um, the funny thing I've seen so far through two films, and this was first when it was evident to me, is there's times when Fuller's dialogue is fantastic and just his mark. Other times it seems a bit ham-handed, and mm. you know. But on the whole, it was a fantastic film, and I think for this guy to be doing this in the fifties, way ahead of his time. Yeah, really so, progressive with his attitudes. Uh, very you know, progressive, very which very I really respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, progressive in a lot of ways. <laughs> but. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally, man. And and that was evident in the next film, which I didn't like as much as I thought I would. And this is probably going to get some gas from some people, but Shot Corridor. It's all right. I think it's you know man I think it's it's good but it's definitely like I was expecting it to be just an absolute classic and for me I preferred uh, the Crimson Kimono to be honest I felt no, no it's fine I mean like what what I meant was I like it a lot but I totally it's one that like if somebody doesn't like it it's kind of like yeah no I it's it, I totally get that there again there's some good things in it and the thing sure. I found interesting about his work again is how sometimes he he wobbles between stuff that's so spot on and just hits the mark completely to stuff that seems, you know, a bit hammy uh, at times and ham-handed. But, um, again, it was good, but I think so far through two films, what I think of Fuller is uh, I respect what he brought to the table and how progressive he was. Um, and with the money he had, the things that he, he got across in his films and, it's obvious, you know, when I watch Shot Quarter or stuff like um, Marty Scorsese, people like Marty Scorsese and a few other directors, I, I, I sort of been thinking about in my head that how I could see how there was an influence there. But And I like that he uses marginalized members of society in prominent, respectful roles in his films. Yeah. No, he does that a lot. Prostitutes, people with mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of um, Pick Up on South Street, um, a pickpocket. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm very curious what you think of Pick Up on South Street. That's one of my favorites. 
Um, I really like White Dog a lot. Which is the only one I'd seen before this, which I'm going to revisit. White Dog. And what did you think of it when you saw it? You thought it was okay? Or no, I dug it. it. I thought it was oh, yeah. fine. You know, I mean, God, it was a while ago now, but yeah. um, I'm going to rewatch it. Um, yeah, I'd be curious how it falls in the, you know, when you're watching a bunch of his stuff in the row, how, how you feel about it. I'm going to try and do it chronologically. That's the other thing when I do these director oh, series, good. because I think... I did that with Fellini, and when I got to Fellini in color, it was really interesting to see, man, because I'd been watching, uh, you know, the Dolce Vita. I'd seen it in a half prior, uh, stuff like, um, I'm drawing a blank now, um, the the English title is The Bulls. Uh, fuck. Uh, I... Eviteloni, Eviteloni. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, stuff like that. I'd seen all of his black and white stuff, and then to get the color with, like, Amarcord and Satyricon and, and Roma and stuff, I was like, holy fuck, man. It's like, it's like his Kurosawa going to color. It's just... It's kind of wild. Yeah, no, I really respect that you uh, have the discipline to do it that way because I, I would, I often would try and start out. And I, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't done what you're doing uh, in such a thorough manner, and I really dig that a lot. But when I have done it, I always get too overly anxious and kind of jump, jump around. Uh, but I think there's something to be said for doing it that way. Yeah, I just think you start to see patterns and themes, and you can see them no matter how you watch them, backwards, forwards. Uh, random, but I think that way you really see the progression sometimes. And I just figured I want to do it that way. I mean, I am going to cut back because last year I was doing like eight to ten films from each director, um, which I'd like to do in a perfect world. But I think I'm going to go five or six, you know, and just kind of roll with that. It gives me at least a, a decent taste of what the the filmmakers are about. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you need anything, let me know because I'm just going through here. I'm trying to see what I have. You know, Baron Air of Arizona, Steel Helmet, Fixed Bayonets, Scandal Sheet, Park Row. Well, Scandal Sheet he didn't direct. Park Row, Pick Up on South Street, Hell and High Water, House of Bamboo, China Gate, Run of the Arrow, 40 you, Guns. You have I, all those. I have all these, yeah. Verboten, wow. Crimson Kimono, Underworld USA. I don't have Merrill's Marauders. Shot Corridor, Naked Kiss. Um, I think that, and then White Dog. You know what? I would, the only one I, I still need to get. Out of all the ones I was going to do is pick up on South Street. Okay. So, yeah, yeah that'd be I, cool. Man, so you're a big Fuller fan then, I should Yeah, no, no, I love him. I think he's really great. I really, really like him a lot. Um, you know, I mean, he just – I don't know what it is about his stuff. It's just that, that hard-boiled, um, you know – yeah, I don't know. He, I've just been a fan of his for a while. I think it was probably – I saw an, an early interview with Tarantino where he was talking about it. Um you know, being a fan of his, I think in the same sentence with like Mario Bava and this was like this, uh, it wasn't an IFC documentary, but it was, it was, I can't remember the name of it now, but they were talking to a lot of independent filmmakers like the Coens and Allison Anders and Carl Franklin around the time of one, uh, one false move. And they all were calling out people that they liked. And, and yeah, Tarantino was calling out Sam Fuller. I, me- I remember there's a joke in kicking and screaming. Did you, did you see kicking and screaming? Uh, the Bombback film? No, I have Yeah. There's a there's a joke that my friend and I always make where like um, one of the Car- Carlos Jacot this character goes to work at a video store in the movie which is probably part of the reason it appealed to me because I worked at a video store at the time and um, Dean Cameron plays the guy that runs the video store and he says something like well, what are your influences which is a really funny thing to say to somebody that's getting a job at a video store not like he's actually a filmmaker right. and he's like you know Samuel Fuller all the other ones all the all the good ones. <laughs> which I just thought was a funny joke to throw. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we always we always throw that out occasionally. We'll just be like, you know, Samuel Fuller, all the other, all the good ones. That is good, man. I like that. Yeah. 
But no, it's wow. That's I didn't realize you were quite that uh, enamored with them, and you know, so you should be. I, I think, yeah, the hard-boiled aspect really, I it appeals to me, obviously, as well. So, yeah, no, uh, you know, this is to be continued. You know, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about this one. I'm I'm going to be, you know, listening with uh, great attention to hear how you feel about the stuff as you go. Yeah, no, for sure. And the only thing I would say. Um, the only other pickpocket film of the era I was a little let down by, and that's of course Brisson's Pickpocket. I, I like I like Pick Up on South Street considerably more. Although I mean, there's some great things about uh, Brisson's film, but that's a little more arty for me, and this is a little bit more. I don't know. It's it's just more more narrative in some way, more more fuller. You know, cool. if that's all I need to no, say. I think I think I kind of know that already. So that's cool, man. Okay, good. No, we'll we'll powwow later on then. Um, and last but not least, my wife and I decided to watch Jackass 3.5. <laughs> that was so, and another sh- complete shift. It was great, man. I mean, you know, it's it's a bit of it's a B side of sorts because you know, it, <laughs> because you know with Jackass 3 they kind of jammed a lot of good stuff in. And what is with the point fives? What are these things? I, I I've never seen these. It's basically, to the best of my knowledge, maybe some, maybe I'm wrong, but from what I understand, it is whenever they're going to do one of the films because they did this with two, and I also have two and 2.5 for these. Um, they shoot a bunch of stuff, a bunch of stunts, other footage, and this is kind of the like the stuff that doesn't quite make it to the theatrical cut of of the movie. So they release it as like a, a three point, like a point five. Oh, okay, I see. So, so it's, it's sort of outtakes, sort of you know com- compilation of stuff. Yeah, it's just it's just <clears throat> skits, skits that weren't in the, or like uh, stunts that were not in the film for nice. whatever reason. And there's some pretty insane shit, man. And there's there's some pretty awesome shit. And it was it was pretty sad to see Ryan Dunn. You know, cause he's he's always yeah. a likable guy and you know, really yeah. young guy and whatnot. But you no, know, my wife and I enjoyed it, man. We're big Jackass fans, so that's cool. It was it was kind of a good way to end the week, and that's all I've watched, man. So. Oh, dude, I want to add one thing. I just realized um, I had a friend of mine visit me from. He was in New York. He uh, he's from New York, and he and his girlfriend were out, and they swung by our house last night, which was really neat. Got to see them, but I so I was demonstrating the projector for him, and I put on um, Rock and Roll High School on Blu-ray, um, just to kind of show him how it looked like. And then they had to go, and we had the movie on as we were getting ready for bed. And Raven started watching it, and uh, she was just loving the Ramon stuff. Oh, amazing! She was just blowing my mind and and just melting my heart, you know, because that's like I've played the Ramones on on LP for her before, and she totally responded to it. But she was she wouldn't go to sleep. She was just kind of like whenever the Ramones were on screen, she was she was sort of looking up and watching the it's- Ramones. It's so, so interesting that I, I I think I might have mentioned this to you. It's so interesting the effect that Ramones have on children because when William was under a year old, I would play like Johnny Cash, which he dug, and he really nice. loved the Ramones. And he would clap like he clapped at the end of their song. <laughs> so because so cool. we'd be driving and he'd be like he'd be bouncing along and stuff, and it was great. And now it's funny how he's getting into music, man. Like I'll tell you, just since we're on this now, um, Mayor Hawthorne is. Uh, like a newer singer I really dig, you know, Blue Eyed Soul, blah, blah, blah. Kind of sounds a bit like, you know, it's like a Marvin Gaye thing, you know. Cool. But uh, he's, he's quite good. Uh, Felipe, actually, after 13 and and uh, Lady 13 turned me on to him uh, a while ago. And anyway, nice. um, William really digs him. Like, he always wants to listen to his music. And I'll tell you what an ear this kid has for Mayor Hawthorne. There's a new McDonald's commercial that Mayor oh, Hawthorne nice. sings on. He hears the commercial, man, and he goes, Mayor Hawthorne. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Just blew my mind, man. It was crazy. So it's funny that our kids are at that age now. They're going to start retaining this stuff and, and processing it. And 
it's yeah, it's wild, man. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to get her into music as I'm sure you are with your son. It's music is definitely something that's a little the movies has been really easy for me and my son, but music has been a different thing. Like it's it's not like he's not into it. I got him into Weird Al and some stuff that really affected me when I was a kid. Yeah. But I think there's an emotional component to music mm-hmm. that once you get to a certain age it's like it's either there or it's not quite there for you and it's not quite there for him just yet. But I'm sure it will be. But the movies, he's been great. But yeah, oh, yeah, with the little kids, it's like they're not even responding to the emotional. There's something else. Just a real there's basic. a visceral base kind of yeah. reaction. No, you're right, man. And I'm curious to see how Braden does with this stuff versus William. Like how their response are different, or certain artists they respond to differently. And because you know, it's a fascinating thing. Right? Like you and I talked about this before. I think with yeah. Um, with children dancing and stuff. When they yes, get... <laughs> yeah, that sort of unfiltered response to the music. I love that. Yeah, it's just great, man. But to know, okay, we'll, we'll we'll continue this talk as as the show goes on over For the sure. years too. So you heard it here first. Um, I guess you know we're going to take a break. Which one do you want to get into first, man? Um, totally your call. I'm really I'm really open on this one. Let's do the big heat first. Okay. Sounds okay. Good. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I just just getting confirmation. It's just in, That's the third time though. I mean, I must. This is on. You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, you wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. first review which is the first time we've had a noir on the ggtmc it's uh kind of serendipitous that root picked this one it's 1953's the big heat by fritz lang so why don't you synopsize this and maybe lead in with why you chose this and then i'll get into reviewing it um i i love this this synopsis on the front page of imdb it's really really short um mostly because i'd rather not give away too much if i i I don't know how much you knew going in but um I think this is enough to, that hopefully people will just go ahead. It says, Tough Cop Dave Banyan takes on a politically powerful crime syndicate, um, which, you know, in a nutshell is the movie, but I mean, obviously a lot more goes on. Um, but there's some there's a couple twists and turns that, you know, I, I would prefer that people didn't know about going in. Now, I, now how, like I said, how much did you know about the twists and turns going in? Um, because I'd read Perry's 
Oh, you read the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah this yeah. was about a month ago. I read Perry Sanders. Like, oh, I wrote it down on my list that I keep with the book that's getting ridiculously long. Um, <laughs> I knew, but then I'd forgotten. And then, because I, I think, no, let's just get this out on the table right now so we know which way to go. There's something that I hate, and I'm glad you kind of brought this up. There's a big, a big reveal that I think it doesn't spoil the film, but it certainly takes away from the impact of of the emotional impact of, of some things uh, to know certain things going in. Do we want to dance around that or do we just want to lay it on the table? Uh, I mean, if we can avoid it, I mean, maybe but it'll yeah. come out in the conversation, but if we can avoid it, uh, I, I I'm, I'm afraid that if anybody looks it up, they may be able to figure it out and may give it away. And I feel like with Perry's reviews, you know, which, and I've, I read over his thing uh, yesterday to prepare for this. Um, I think he always is kind of, I think he, it functions kind of as an assumption that like you've seen the film Yes, um, I would say so too. You know, but which is too bad because a lot of times you're trying to discover a film as you're reading about the. That's so, right. So, so for me, like I would often read like part of like there's a bunch of his reviews in the cult movies books I haven't read because I'll get to a certain point and I'll be like, oh no no no, he's he's definitely going into it here. I'm gonna just I've gotten enough from just reading this half of it. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait. Um, and this is one I would say that if you have the Perry book and you haven't read, don't read it. You know, see the movie first, and it makes a lot more sense if you. If you see it after, or if you read it after. And in fact, if our review compels you to seek this film out, don't go looking for the material. Don't go reading other reviews. If ours is enough to put you over the top to see it, then just go see it. Because yeah, I, unfortunately, there's some things that could be spoiled with this. That again, it doesn't. It's not going to impact how much you enjoy the film, but something's not going to maybe smack you as it should um, when you see it. So yeah, because like I hadn't. I, I don't think I knew the whole uh, shebang when I first saw it and it definitely had an emotional impact and even this time knowing what was going to happen it still uh, packs a wallop so yeah I would say it does too absolutely and I, I want to say what a fucking fantastic poster <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty crazy stuff yeah good I've time. never seen that one I've never seen that one it looks like it might be a newer one it has to I think be. it is I think it's it, it, it sort of smacks of um, a more recent poster design sensibility i like that it's good stuff um okay so yeah i'll get into this um noir is admittedly an area where um that's a blind spot for me i've seen you know i've seen some i've seen a lot of neo-noirs obviously because that's sort of the age i grew up in but uh noir is an area i I dig i just you know a bit of a blind spot for me so i was very happy when you'd pick this one because it was one of the ones i was going to seek out first anyway and you know, Fritz Lang, I mean, what can we say? Fritz Lang is one of the legendary directors of our time. I mean, he's directed some really seminal works, um, M, Metropolis, uh, this. I mean, there's just so much that he's directed. We can go on and on about Fritz Lang. So, um, But, yeah, so this one stars Glenn Ford, Gloria Graham, Jocelyn Brando, Lee Marvin, and a slew of other people uh, in some pretty pretty great performances. So um, this – I think where it, when it starts, it says that this is based on like a Saturday serial. So I guess it was like a, a radio show or like a, no, or like a, maybe like a comic, not a comic strip, certainly, but like, I guess a radio show. Yeah. So, well, you know what? I think Saturday evening post serial makes it sound like something that was like a regular, um, piece that ran sort of an ongoing, you know what I mean? Kind of thing that, that, that would be my Saturday evening post was, um, was a newspaper, right? So it was sort of a, I mean, I don't want to call it like a Rex Morgan MD kind of comic strippy <laughs> kind of thing, but but you know maybe like a, a running um, sort of a story like a Flash Gordon, but you know as a crime story in print kind of thing would be my guess. 
Unless the post sponsors like the evening radio programs, I don't know. True, just, and it could be that too. Maybe, maybe that, maybe that's the case. Who knows? But anyway, it was an ongoing. It was ongoing in some format. Let's just, mm-hmm. I guess, say that. Um, one of the things I've always liked about noir that noirs have seen, and this one certainly delivers it in spades, is, is the dialogue is just, is just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, right away, it's pretty evident. You know, I think can we. Can we talk about what gets the ball rolling at, at least, like in the opening? Sure. Moment? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I mean, think that's, that's the first really... shot. Yeah, I mean that's the, yeah. literally the first shot of the movie, and I think that's totally fine. Because I think otherwise, if we start, because then we really working with two hands behind our back. No, I think you know what I'm talking about. As I do. As, I do. So, so yeah, but but yeah, I think everything else is pretty fair game. Fair game. Uh, so really, what happens with this film, the way it kind of gets things kicked off, is like the opening sequence is uh, a man kills himself, um, shoots himself, and. We find out that it's a police officer. Uh, he commits suicide, and uh, he leaves a note behind, which, if, if I remember correctly, was pretty prominently displayed in the frame. It's for the district attorney, I think. Was that correct? I think so. Yeah, it, it's not really. Give, you're not really given a chance to read it exactly, but you get a sense of you know it's it, the impact it will have um, on everyone in the, yeah. the city. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I mean, you know, it's this guy, this policeman, kills himself, and. It just lines early on, like you can see that the wife gets home, and the wife acts a bit odd. It's it, it's sort of not what you'd expect or hope your wife <laughs> would act uh, after you've just shot yourself in the head. But she gets on the horn right away, and and she's talking to someone in, clearly in a position of power, and uh, she says, because it's, it's it's like a, an in between with like a butler, and, and she says, well, can I tell him who's calling? And she says, tell him it's it's Duncan's widow. It's like you can tell clearly. You know what she's what she's getting at here. Like, let's get this thing rolling because I you know there's something very important happening. So, yeah, just, you know, kind of snappy stuff like that, and uh, it just it, I kind of knew right away this was this was gonna be a good one, man. I just, oh, that's cool. I'm glad it, I'm glad it got your attention and kicked it off. Yeah, no, it, absolutely, absolutely, man, absolutely. And then we see Lee Marvin shows up, and uh, yeah, you know he's got the old Grecian form in his hair in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. He's great. He's great in this. You know, I mean, he he, he, he had some. Some earlier roles were, you know, obviously he, he was sort of more slapsticky, and and uh, and this has just a hint of that, um, but a, a good amount of good solid Marvin, you know, sort of menacing kind of. Oh yeah. So, yeah, he he's great. He's great in it. He's one of the heavies. He's one of the bad guys in this. <clears throat> if those don't know, and he's probably. He's the guy that gets his hands dirty the most, as far as the heavies go. Yeah. Um, and he is pretty nasty in this. Yeah. So it's he's interesting. He can do that so well, and just be almost like this this unrepentant animal. And other times he can be, you know, like the hard man, noble kind of hard man that he was in, in other things, Dirty Dozen and so forth. But but yeah, no, he's fantastic in this, obviously. But it was just interesting. I'm used to seeing the old Silver Fox Marvin, so mm-hmm. <clears throat> nice to see him with the Grecian. Um, and yeah, you you and I just talked about this, just the pulpy feel it really has. Um, right away with the dialogue, which you know, it's it's a mark of uh, of noir is kind of that pulpy dialogue. So I I just I love that stuff because there's so many films that that we've fallen in love with post this era from the 60s right on through and really predominantly now 90s and, and modern times stuff like the Coens and so forth. Yeah, I was going to say. <clears throat> you know, they've really been influenced so much by this genre, and I think if you want to take it even a step further, um, for people that maybe aren't as familiar with noir, it's, I don't know if you want to kind of break it down, Brian, it's really, you know, it's a genre for people, it's really, it's an ambiguous, you know, obviously noir, the word dark, uh, or it's like black, or no, no, noir is black, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
and it's just a lot of morally ambiguous characters doing sure. morally ambiguous things. It's not your yeah. black cat white hat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean, as I understand it, it was it was coined by you know foreign critics overseas as they as they were sort of getting a, a bunch of films that had been previously unavailable post World War II suddenly flooded into other countries like France and whatnot, and they started to notice these thematic things and these uh, visual things. You know, a lot of like, I guess, low key lighting uh, and shadows, and a lot of you know paranoia and crime stories. A lot of fatalism. I think there's a, there's an argument about <clears throat> what what constitutes a noir, and I've already I've always sort of fallen on the on the side of more fatalistic stuff. So so some people would say that something like The Big Sleep or The Maltese Falcon. Are totally noir, and I, I can see that, and I agree with it. But I think I, for me, a more pure noir is much more fatalistic, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that that this this has that certainly, um, but it's a transitional film, and this is something that Peary touches on in his review. He's talking about this film and Kiss Me Deadly being transitional films between the noir phase of American cinema and then this sort of newer like crime expose, mm-hmm. uh, you know, type of film. That happened in the 50s. I guess that he says something in the beginning of his review where he's talking about some um, televised um, trials during the early 50s, 1951, I think, uh, where they were. It was some crime kingpin was on trial, and it was this sort of like revelatory thing for Americans at the time that they were realizing that a, a lot of uh, corruption was happening, and a lot of these crime, uh, like I said, kingpins were were you know there's a lot of corruption they were involved with you know uh political officials and so it was just this shocking thing and i think it it fed a lot of uh danny says a lot of like real crime a need for and a want for real crime stories and exposés and whatnot and whatnot so this this film and like kiss me deadly are these transitional they have noir elements and they have these expose elements so it's a really interesting period the 50s for that yeah, I mean, because I think a lot of times there was there was an innocence or a naivety, and then you see beneath that shine this rotten kind of uh, interior. So, yeah, no, it is really fascinating, and then this is late in the noir cycle too. So yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think yeah, that's really because a lot of these films, correct me if I'm wrong, were just kind of sneered at uh, when they first came up. But it was when it was a Cahiers de Cinema. It was those guys, right? Yeah, there's that group in that period in 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 the '60s when auteur theory was, you know, sort of being you know trumpeted. Yeah, Yeah, and and that's when a lot of these films from directors like Fritz Lang or uh, Walsh, you know, uh, John Huston, what have you. I I I, I don't know about John Huston as much, but definitely Fritz Lang and and, uh, Raul Walsh. Actually, all of them um, were re-examined, and and Perry mentions also in the article that. This film got mixed reviews in when it came out, but was re-examined and sort of re-exalted as, you know, this classic uh, in the '60s. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to look at films like The Thing or this, and seeing like negative or mixed reviews when they came out. It's like yeah, that just blows my mind. You know, it's yeah. just it, it's it's so much. It's so interesting the idea of like what a film's life. Uh, is like and it's really so you know Tarantino's talked about this and and so have a lot of a lot of people just it's really not ever about opening weekend although as much as we we put that stress on a film and that's how we measure its success for for people like you and I I think and the, our listeners it's more like 
what's what are we going to think of it in 20 years? What are we going to think of it, you know, beyond that? You know, um, so what's its legacy? Up? Yeah, what's its legacy exactly, going to be? Exactly. What's its legacy? Totally. Yeah, I know, I know. It's uh, it's too bad. I mean, yeah, and I think really too for a lot of people, you know, they they got to look at this too. Stuff like um, John Woo. I mean, just at this, these films are so influential on everything that we love nowadays for the most part. Like a lot of the crime, anything that's related to crime under that umbrella, you know, for the most part has some sort of trickle down influence from this stuff. So I think yeah. if you really dig film and you have a, a a sense of history and wanting to understand where things started, it's uh. It's good to dig into some of this stuff, certainly. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, um, I need some water. To get back on point here with the review, so, uh, you know, another great example of the dialogue. Um, I can't remember who said this now. I want to say it was Lagana, maybe. Oh, no, no, it was, it was, um, let me go back here. It, uh, it was Banyan, <laughs> played, played, played Glenford, great turn by Glenford. Yeah. Um, should be maybe said. his best some would say yeah it's it's probably the best i've seen i haven't seen a lot of his stuff maybe a handful but uh it, it was a it was a great performance man really great performance but he gets in with lagana and mike lagana played by a british actor i believe alexander scourby um he gets into scourby's excuse me uh lagana's house and lagana's the big the big sort of kingpin uh, of the underworld in the city and uh he gets into his house and he's kind of questioning him about this. Um, and he says, you know, you should do radio commercials. You talk a lot and don't say anything. <laughs> it's kind of funny because early on he's, uh, he was really, you know, really on him about that. So, yeah. um, and then I think even another line, again, I, you know, I try to take a lot of lines out of context, but some of it just, it just popped off the screen for me. I think, um, again, I don't remember who said this now. It might've been in the same scene, which was a great scene between, uh, Banyan and, and Lagana, but um, when I think Banyan says Lagana again, he says the only thing between you and the gutter, or you and between, no, this wasn't, you know, I'm bumbling this around. <laughs> this was during, there's a scene when he goes to a bar and he's questioning people because he's trying to yeah. find out about this police officer's death and he's, yeah. you know, he's finding the pavement and he says to the barkeep, talking about some of the, the shady sort of lowlifes that hang out at these these bars and he says the only thing, difference between them and the gutter is a suitcase or the only thing between them is uh, I'm not, wow. Maybe I should have had a coffee this morning, Brian. <laughs> That's the all good, only thing dude. between them and the gutter is a suitcase. Yeah. I thought that was a great line. Yeah. No, there's a lot of great stuff like that. Just really quick. Oh, man. I love it. Yeah, it's stuff that zings. And I think it's one of those things, too. And it, it's going to sound like a bit of a meathead statement. But with the, the Marx Brothers stuff or the Keaton stuff I've seen, um, it's almost like... You know, when I first started watching, I was like, "Wow, these guys are really sharp," and it's almost like we—I we, don't know why—I would assume that film back then wouldn't have been sharp or snappy. But you know, it just—you know—it was just a, an ignorant thing to say. But uh, no, no, not at all. I mean, it—you it, know—you you think of things being old-fashioned. You melodrama think of, heavy. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It's just a different time. You don't feel like. You just feel like people were a lot different, but in a lot of ways they weren't. And and I think that's one of the great stylistic things about older films is that they they didn't have uh, well they had first of all they had just a lot of great writers and not to say that we don't have them now, but they had they had a production code to work around. So I think that forced some of them into situations where they had to write more cleverly. Subversive. Yeah, I mean, and they didn't have you know big special effects, and so it was really one of the draws was just this sort of snappy uh, dialogue. I think for that for that time period, you know, for a long time. Oh, definitely, 
definitely. And one of the things I think that appeals to a lot of us, you know, as guys, I mean, listen, we all like to see people wait around in the muck, but I think one of the things that really gets us behind Banyan is we see how up against it he is, everyone from barkeeps to his superiors at the station. We see that he's an honest man in a dishonest world, and, you know, it, it really manufactures compassion and a rooting interest for us, for him. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you and you see as he sort of develops a cynicism throughout the course of the film, you kind of see where it's coming from. And um, you you sort of ha- have no patience for the stuff he has no patience for, basically. Yeah. You know, because you've seen him sort of deal with people and be like you say, the good guy and everyone else kind of being, you know, not so good. And, and you're just like, yeah, I'm sick of it, too. And, and just to see him sort of get become almost like a badass in a way and just sort of like i've got nothing to lose here i'm i'm uh, you know you don't you don't frighten me you know kind of this standing up to people is is really it really gets me i don't know it got me um not my i don't want to say my blood going but i just sort of was like yeah you know sort of through the thing just really really got my attention that way you're right when it shifts gears into his when his <laughs> mindset shifts gears because of some things that happen and he really full throttle. I mean, he puts the, his foot just the pedal down. It's uh, it, it really yeah. It becomes a thing where your your blood does get going. I think so. But you know, I'll I'll get to that in a moment. But you know, another thing I liked that Lang did with this, and his writers did was, um, it was rare in the films I've seen of that era to see fathers as involved as characters uh, as characters was as as Glenn Ford's characters character was like. A lot of times in these in films from the 50s and stuff, the father would kind of rub Tussle the kid's hair and, and sit down with a drink and read the newspaper. But we see in this he's playing with his daughter and they're talking about parenting books and stuff that you just didn't see in a lot of 50s American films. No, you're right. No, that's that's a really good point. And that and that all it's just all well-rounded character. You know, it really it really gets you more into the story and makes him seem more real. I love I love when he's telling her he's making up that story that the kittens lost their mittens. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just that, just that idea. Like, tell me a story. Oh, let me just, you know, not off the cuff, make something up. Like, the kind of thing you do. Like, <clears throat> I don't know if you do this, but when when I read to my my little girl, sometimes we have some books that are just too thick yes, to really yes. read because you'll <laughs> lose them. So you just start looking at the pictures and you just make shit up. I, I'm mm-hmm. there, man. I was there last night. We have this. Um, <laughs> it's funny. My call, my son called Chicken Little Chicken Eyeball for some reason because he had glasses on. And this book is dense as a motherfucker. It's so wordy for a kid. And yeah, it's like you end up paring it down and kind of making your own story up on the fly. I love I love that stuff. And it's funny because they, they totally go for it. And you, mm-hmm. you keep their attention uh, just doing it that way more than you know trying to read it. So, or, anyway. you, know, you know what else I do that, Brian, just to distance around this, is if I'm feeding my kids, because I like to, sometimes if they start to get, they don't want to eat, I'll read to them. Because usually oh, we read after our meal, we read right after every meal, we're still at the table, we read books and stuff. But what I do is if they start to get, Mom, I don't want it, then I start reading, and it kind of, it hypnotizes them. So that's I, an interesting ploy. I have to try that with uh, with our little one, because we do have times where she won't eat. Try I've that. Never, never tried it. Don't have yeah, to do that. Yeah, give it a whirl because it'll distract them, right? And they just then they get into auto, like autopilot. Their mouth opens and it's great. But what I do sometimes is if I'm looking at the spoon and the page, like I'm near the end of the page, right? I don't know the words. Then I start making up words then because I'm spooning something and I'm focusing on the bowl or the <laughs> nice, plate. So, but uh, remind good tips, me, good tips. you got to try it, man. Let me know how it works. Um, remind me to never use a high draft pick on Glenn Ford for my Jenga team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting. Uh... <laughs> Great cop, bad uh, 
wooden block house builder. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, but I we I jumped back and forth about this, but the fantastic scene with Banyan and Logano when when uh, he comes into and this is something that Perry talks about too, of course, is uh, when Banyan comes into Logano's home and he, he's you know you can just sense how furious and insulted Logano is that that this low this low level cop has the gall to come into my house. And start questioning me about something, whether he's whether he's guilty or not. And we know, obviously, he is he is certainly involved in this. But just how furious Lagana is about that—that that he's waltzed into his house and he has the gall to start questioning me. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's really great. The just how far the corruption goes and the indignance and like moral um, sort of righteousness that yes. comes with, you know, hypocri- totally hypocritical moral righteousness, but that comes with this power that Lagana has and <clears throat> people below him have. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a great line too there because what happens is when Ford is, or I'm just going to call him other character's name, when Banyan is questioning Lagana, um, of course Lagana gets on the buzzer and tells one of his, his, uh, guerrillas to come in. And Banyan knocks him. He punches him in the face, and the guy falls down. He's holding his nose. It's about to start bleeding. And uh, I love Banyan goes to Lagana. He goes, "You want to pinch it for your boy, Lagana?" <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, I thought that was pretty good, man. Yeah, that's a that's a badass scene, dude. It's just it like so. Scene. I mean, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where you can. There's a sort of sense of dread for the character because you're like, this is probably not a good idea, but um, but you, at the same time, you're still like, fuck yeah, man. He's he's not afraid to to um do what he believes is right and 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 call and just call it as he sees it as far as this guy's a total scumbag you know that's right man he he's one of the obviously the only person that's had the the nerve to stand up to this uh this guy because everyone else is you know they're they're you know they're in each other's pockets so yeah um minor critique i have about the film though maybe i missed something but the leap to get to lagana's house like is it just assumed that because of Lagana's known ties to the underworld and everything that, that sort of is there, that is that sort of the, the logic that the Banyan took to get there? Or did I miss something? Or was it maybe a bit of a hole in the story? Because it felt like he got there rather quickly. That's usually one, like the last place. You know, he have to work his way up there as opposed to just kind of getting there. You meaning like would w- he wouldn't be allowed there? or No, I just mean he- the, the assumption that that Lagana was involved. Like it almost felt like, okay, yes, we know that he's got his finger in a lot of pies, but he went from like low level booze hounds at the bar, right, right up to the top to Lagana. I see. Yeah. You know, I think I get a sense that, I, I don't know. It may be a whole, maybe not, but that Lagana is actually like a big uh, member of the community mm-hmm. um, on some level. And so he's just a known quantity. And I right. think, once it becomes – I think once the cynicism starts to set in, um, I think it was just the kind of thing where um, Glenn Ford's character may have known about it a little bit, but certainly not to the extent that the the, the shit that was involved. But so so in his day-to-day, my sense is he was not really affected by Lagana, and in yeah. this case, suddenly he was like – made much more aware and, and maybe it is a bit of a leap, but I, but I feel like it's, he's sort of an omnipresent character, uh, you know, or, or, um, and it's entity in, in this quote unquote community. And right. it's sort of a, once the, once the ball starts rolling, it's very clear where it's going. And, but yeah, I mean, it is, it does, you know what, but to, to be honest, sometimes I, 
<clears throat> I have the patience for the sort of buildup. Um, but but I kind of like that this movie gets there sooner. Yeah, uh, no, that's fair. And- I feel like there's plenty of conflict and interesting shit even after that scene, although that scene is really great. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think I think we have to assume that in this film and in this world that Lagana would be a known quantity in things uh, this shady, this high up. Yeah, I mean that's just my guess, but you but you may be right. It may not really be explicit as far as the story goes. Yeah, which you know it didn't certainly harm <clears throat> anything. But I just thought, hang on, wait a second, how did we get here? But but that's fine. I mean everything else is, is certainly fine. Um, little piece of trivia for everyone that something I found out I didn't know going in until I I looked into the cast when I started watching the film. Um, Jocelyn Brando, Marlon Brando's sister, plays uh, Glenn Ford's wife in the film, and I got to say I haven't seen her in anything else. Uh, but I thought she was great in this. Oh yeah, she's really good, and I didn't—I didn't catch that either. I heard the name, and I didn't even make the connection. Yeah, it's Marlon's sister, and you know, they're uh, Ford and, and Brenda have a great chemistry. They have almost like this Circean kind of sweet love. Like it—it just—it feels very like just it's it, i just i loved it man I, I thought they were great together they felt like they loved each other didn't it, it felt real to me and and believable and i just i really i really like that yeah i mean i would say it's 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 almost over the top and it's almost to the point where it could take you out inside of a story like this but it's just right at the ceiling and it just keep and it really like i said it's all part of um really getting involved with glenn ford's character you see this softer side to him and it it really plays well i agree but because they don't have a lot of time to focus on like they don't spend a lot of time focusing on that aspect because there's other things going on in the story they they have to kind of he has to make you understand how uh ford feels about his wife yeah, I mean, because they're gonna they focus on other things as the movie goes on, right? With yeah, with just Ford's uh, quest for for truth and everything. But um, it's I very gotta, economical, you yeah. know, story wise, like all around. I'm not just talking <clears throat> about that relationship, but everything is because the movie's like I want to say it's like less, less than ninety minutes, eighty nine minutes. Yeah, I mean, really lean mm-hmm. uh, for all that happens in it, and uh, so it's real. I love that sort of economical storytelling. I mean, I, I would I would say maybe some people might find it rushed. Um, maybe if they're used to, you know, two and a half hours of, yeah, I was going to uh, say Transformers three, which doesn't allow much for character buildup anyway, but, but, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like it, it gets it done in a short amount of time. It shows you how you can get it done in a short amount of time. Totally. No. Uh, and Brando is <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't near my, my mixer to turn it down, man. No worries. I'm fucking yawning on air. Brando, it should be said is, is an attractive woman, but. It disturbs me a bit that she looks a lot like Marlon. <laughs> Once I knew, I was like, oh, I don't know. What does this say? But, uh, but no, she was good. I'd like to see some other things she's done. Um, so, yeah, there's a great kind of stunning reveal when Brando is reading to his daughter. And, and you know, you and I talked about this. It's it's just a bit of a shame that, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that is revealed when people talk about the film a lot. Um, and I think that setup for that scene is, is pretty influential, like the way that's that's revealed. Yeah. Something that's been done a lot since. I don't know if this was the first time, but that the way that's played out and from the sort of perspective uh, it was shot is something I've seen a lot since then. Yeah, and well, I was going to ask you now, did you you had you seen Tony Arzenta before this week? Yeah, I had. Okay, okay. So, all right, well, that's it. But you didn't know... What, what, a, what, what are the odds? Two? What are the yeah. odds? I, I just thought it was pretty funny, the, the connection between the two. Anyway, 
Yeah, it just, what are the odds? And also that one's the big heat, Antonio Santos, a.k.a. is big guns. <laughs> nice. So it's it's interesting. Um, this just, I think, it's a pretty, hang on, my son's crying. Uh-oh. Where's my wife's? These, see, these top two teeth are like, one's busted through and then the other one's about to, so. Oh, that's a rough time. Yeah. Okay. A hush fell over the room, so I know my wife's there. Okay. My poor wife, man. Um, yeah, this is just a searing indictment of police and corruption. Like, I gotta wonder, like, for, for people at the time, man, like, some of this stuff, it just, it's just, you can't believe, you don't want to believe, like, the corruption and just how rotten to the core everyone is. It's, uh, it's pretty astounding. Yeah, I, like I said, I think that, that, you know, that trial being on air and, and whatnot, um, I think it was just a real eye-opener, I'm guessing, for a lot of people pre-1951. Just, I mean, I, I believe the corruption's obviously always been there. Certainly. Always is there, not to be too cynical, but I don't feel like corruption ever is going to go away. It's human nature, man. Yeah, I just feel like where there's power and there's money and, you know, somebody will take it and do something. That, anyway, but uh, so, yeah, I, I feel like uh, that must have been I, – I can only imagine the impact of that 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 might have had on the public just as this, this eye-opening thing and then to sort of want to like like it's like perry says want to see movies that sort of tackle that sort of thing um so yeah it, it definitely feels like quite a response to to that it's so i don't know yeah like you said an indictment yeah it totally is um Gloria Graham is is fantastic, and a lot of oh, yeah, we haven't really talked about her that much so far. She is really this is one of her signature roles. Yeah, she's fantastic in this, and right away, I mean, she kind of grabs you because she's kind of got this scathing disdain for the men around her, mm-hmm. and it's obvious. Um, <clears throat> but she's just great in it. I mean, you know, really, really good. Um, a lot of people write about her when they talk about this film, and rightfully so, it should be said. But um, she was great early on. Just, kind of rolling her eyes at Lee Marvin, because she plays Lee Marvin, like Vince Stone, that's his character. She plays Vince Stone's uh, girlfriend, so, you know, she's just, you can tell she's just tired with all the shit and nonsense of these guys, but she comes from, you know, not the greatest of backgrounds, so she's just going to kind of eat it because she can get some furs out of it and, you know, nice apartment, so, but, you know, she's really, really great. And she yeah, died she, young, eh? She was only 57 when she passed away. Oh, that's too bad. That's really too bad. I, I know one of the last films she did was Chilly Scenes of Winter, which is one of my favorites of all time. Um, and it's really neat to see her in something like this and then see her in that, because she's so good. She's just so good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that wasn't as good, and again, it's just me being nitpicky, just only because it popped out at me was how obvious there was like a, a matte painting skyline. Oh, I missed this somehow. Oh, man. It was, <laughs> I can't remember who it was. Someone was on a balcony. I want to say it was Lagana with Stone. I can't remember who it was now. I'm sure I'll see it <clears> next <throat> time I watch it now. And maybe it's not if you didn't pick it up, but I was like, wow, this looks really, really obvious. But I didn't, they just shoot it, you know, uh, from an apartment somewhere. But anyway, minor quibble. Um, I never realized until I watched it, because like I said, I've only seen a few Ford films, but I'm, I'm a pretty big Martin Balsam fan. Um, how much Ford, Mo- excuse me, Martin Balsam look alike to me? Yeah, no, I could see that for sure. Yeah, it just kind of took me back when I was watching it early on. Um, I, and I like, you know, one of the things they do, and this comes back to the economy of how, how tight they kept things, was how much they imply that uh, Banyan's a real, like, it's a real Badman. Like, because there's things that happen with Stone and his cronies when they first kind of meet, 
in the movie. We know that they, they, they're aware of each other and they've, they've dealt with each other before, but the fact that Banyan's there and all he has to do is give someone a look and it's like, okay, whoa, I don't want any trouble. Like, I like how we, we've gotten there without having to be 10 scenes of us showing, you know, showing us how how hard Banyan is. Like, we know his reputation precedes him as a cop. Yeah, well, and, and yeah, sort of where he's at um, in the point in the story that he could really mess with Vince and, and not really give a shit about it at that point, so. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, that's, I agree with you. Like, we don't need anything more than that. And and it's it's a great setup for, um, because you get a sense of Vince's character, but because of Gloria Graham's character kind of messing with him, he's kind of undercut. The, he's a bit the, henpecked or not henpecked, but just, yeah. you know. But but that's that particular scene, what he does in the bar is just kind of like, whoa, this guy is not a nice person. No. Uh, and 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 is capable of some darker things than I than I thought. And and then in comes Ford, and that's just it's a really great powerful scene. Yeah, it is because you really get the two ends of the spectrum there, you know. And it's it's it works because it's built up. You know, we get behind our white hat, and this is clearly a fucking black hat. Like he just yeah, like he cuts a woman. I think. Uh, they're at the bar and they're gambling, they're rolling dice, and I think he like he slashes some chick. No, 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 he he puts a cigarette out. Oh, that's what hand. he did. He put a that's what he did. He put a cigarette out in her hand. Yeah, which is like, oof. yeah, Jesus, I know, man. And this is just some girl, just like some. And it was because she just was threw the dice wrong or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, it was brutal, man. And so he has a, a a real thing for for burning women because you know I won't get into too much of the particulars, but the next scene. We see he pours a pot. And this is one of the most, it might be the most famous scene in this film. Yeah. Uh, he pours a pot of steaming coffee on a woman's face. Yep. And we don't see it, but we don't need to see it, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and it's just downright nasty. I mean, you think about that. Well, we see the effects of it later. And I'm also wondering, like, how shocking that might have been at the, at time. the time. You know, yeah. not that, you know, just because I'm trying to think of special effects that were done. At the at that point, and and it's just a it's a gruesome thing. So yeah, it was, it was, and that was a pretty I think a pretty brave thing, and uh, it was a wise decision I think by Lang and and oh I almost spoiled it, uh, and by this this a- actress to kind of to go along with it because let's face it a lot of times with actors actresses there's vanity involved but yeah. the fact that they were gonna you know strut around for a good portion of the movie you know, looking like uh, Harvey Dent was okay with them because <laughs> yeah. they, they understood that that was going to help the performance be what it was. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I want to ask you before I forget, because if we keep going, I may forget. Have you read Roger Ebert's review of this film? No, you know what? I don't think I have. I wouldn't recommend anyone reads it before seeing this film because it spoils the fuck out of it. But I would very be very interested to see if you read it because he has a very different – he likes this film a lot. But he has a very different spin on this film, and Ford's character and the implications of Ford's decisions on a lot of other things in the film. So mm. maybe when you get a chance to read it, because it's, it's something I never really put together until I read his review. Interesting. Well, I'll definitely read it. Um, there's an old woman in this. She works for like a junkyard, and and she, you know she she gets behind Ford's cause, and she's only gotten a couple scenes, but I really got behind that old woman, man. Yeah. No. Absolutely, man. I mean, like in a um, in a cityscape full of you know people that are kowtowing to Lagana, she she really sees through it all and, and responds to um, Ford's plight as you as it were, and and yeah, it's a really she's really brave, you know, she's really brave because I mean, 
I don't know. There's a lot of people that are. It's shown very clearly, like what is what will happen to people that mess with um, this group, and and to go against that is is a really brave thing. So, yeah, I really dug that. Yeah, it was great. Um, another great line from uh, Ford. I only had a couple more notes. He's choking someone, like a, just a dirt bag in the film, and he says, "When I let go, start talking, and if you don't, I'll finish the job." And it's. Uh, it's just great, man. Just the way his delivery in that moment, and he's just choking this guy out, and, you know, it's just, uh, it was really fantastic. Again, a lot of just great kind of tough guy stuff. That, yeah, he really pulls that off, you know I mean? It's just, I, I don't know, I can't explain it, but I get a little chill, you know, in my, the back of my neck, sort of like, when I, when a scene is played really well, when I'm just like, that's fucking cinema. It's like, I get this yeah. sort of chill, and, and when he would deliver some of that dialogue, I'm just like, fuck yeah, that just really works. For you sure. Know? It's just macho stuff that's really cool without being like, you know, over the top. It just, as a guy, you can't help but just kind of pump your fist and just yeah, it. absolutely. And, uh, that's what I, that's how I felt about it exactly. Yeah, really fantastic stuff. Um, I love how throughout the film Banyan, you know, because we see he's got a moral code, a very strict moral code. But I love how throughout the film he dismissively calls a lot of the lowlifes thief. Yeah. It's like his thing. It just it's just like a just thing he calls people he doesn't respect. There are these criminals, thief. What are you doing here? It just I don't know. I really like. Well, that's that. I like that too. You're delirious. That's a great bit. And uh, at the end of the film, again, I'm not going to reveal anything, but there's just a fantastic kind of deathbed moment, and it's it's you know you can see these characters reminiscing and wondering what if, and on both sides of uh, the characters involved. Uh, in that scene, and it's just a really great scene, man. Yeah, and that's one where I would say, um, I think Perry quotes another book um, in his review where he's talking about um, the sort of Madonna and the horror sort of uh, character syndrome and and a, a union of two characters. I don't want to get into the details of that, but, but that really is a striking um, point that he's trying to make um, about a certain rec- reconciliation that happens. Mm-hmm. Um I'm being very vague, but, but anyway, it's, it's, I thought that was really neat. Just the, idea. I mean, maybe it's a little too heady a thing to actually say is really going on, but it's interesting to think about. I think Lang was good enough that you can put it on the table. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And I would agree with you. So what's wrong my notes, man? I think I, I've I basically everything uh, I've got to say sort of came out through the course of your notes. Um, so I want to hear what your, uh, what your stuff is for this. Okay. Make or Break was that first scene with Lagana and Banyan at Lagana's house. Yeah, that's good. I think this may be their only actual scene together in the film. Think yeah, I think, you, I think you're right. I don't think they meet it again in the movie. Right, because at this point, Lagana, it's really understood. Because, see, Lagana, he's, he's, you know, he's sharp. He's, he didn't get to the top by being an idiot. So this, this cop that he, I'm sure, felt like he could just brush off, he was going to let him in once. But he saw then that this guy was going to be too much of an irritant too much of a wild card for him to get back within arm's reach of Lagana, because Lagana has too much at stake to have someone like this in the picture. So it's the only scene between the two, uh, the two sort of opposing forces in this film, and it is a fantastic scene that's very tense. It's it's great because we see these two guys match up, and we also see that it's a very tense scene because we see that Banyan is in really a, a viper pit at this point. Yeah, you know, there's no friendly faces in this room, and I love a lot of these older films like Noirs and 
you know, films and, and even some newer films like uh, like Confidential and stuff that, that harken back to the noir era. I love when we get to like these these houses in Los Angeles and stuff at the time, or well, well I guess more Los Angeles, uh, like some of the Elroy stuff. Um, these big kind of opulent houses with these rooms and these statues and stuff, and it just it also gives the character our working class heroes this sense of like they don't belong here either. Like the 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 person they're going to see doesn't even need to tell them. So you can just yeah. look at the, the sprawl of these, these like 18, 20 foot ceilings and kind of just get the picture right away. Well, yeah. And, and Perry, Perry touches on that in his review where he's talking about Lang and his um, sort of tying status to the dwelling the character lives in. And obviously you got Glenn Ford and his, I think it's a single story, modest house. And then, you know, you've got Lee Marvin in a really swank um, high-rise apartment. And then you've got Lagana in an even, you know, more, uh, like you said, opulent just mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of. And, and, and he talks about the level of corruption tying directly into the, the size and, and uh, um, expense of the dwelling th- where they lie, basically. Yeah. Which is a really interesting. And it's like that sort of subconscious thing. Like right away you're like, oh. Uh, you can feel that class difference. You can feel that tension amongst all the other stuff. As soon as the character enters, you know that dwelling, it, it just really plays well. Yeah, it does, man. It absolutely does. Um, my MVT is the ensemble. I thought everyone was amazing in this film. I, you know, I could have gone with Lang because you know Lang's the director and so forth. But man, everyone from Ford to Graham, Brando, uh, Scourby playing Lagana, Lee Marvin, and someone we haven't even touched on yet. That was fantastic was uh, Jeanette Nolan as, as Duncan's widow. She is really good. No, you're right. She definitely deserves some credit because, I mean, right out of the gate, you know, she sort of sets the tone for the film in some ways, you know, because you're just kind of like, oh, that's not what I expected. As you said, like, that reaction is not what I expected as far as her husband's death and, you know, just just really gets the corruption going right away. Oh, yeah. No, she does, man. Uh, my score for the film is an 8.25. Um I could even go probably a little bit higher with this one, I think, as, as revisits go on. I was almost inclined to go that way now, but I'm going to say an 8.25 out of 10. This is a fucking awesome film. Like, I'm, I'm going to buy this one. I think it's fantastic. Um, oh, that's great, man. I'm so glad you liked it. That's really cool. When I think of noir, you know, with, with you know, and listen, listen you know, I'm, I'm a film fan, so I mean, I have an understanding of, of the genre without having seen a lot of films, but this to me hits on all the, the points that I would want noir to hit on going in. Like it just it just seemed like you want to make a good noir. These are all the things you need to do and and how you need to do them. And I think for anyone, let's say you don't have a really you know you haven't seen a lot of noirs. Maybe you have in this one. You haven't seen for some reason, man. This this is worth a look. It's a it's a fucking it's a great film. Yeah, no, no, I I think it's definitely um, a must see uh, for anybody that listens to the show. Just as far as the influence and to maybe get if some like you say if somebody's not into noir, this could be a good gateway noir. Um, you know, because they're not, but the, unfortunately, they're not all this good. But you know, it's still, it still really gets your attention and, and shows uh, how good the genre can be. Exactly right. So just to say, well, there's more of this out there. Well, I want to seek that out too. It's definitely that kind of movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, I'm, I'm pretty. It's a tough call. I, I, I really love that Lagana scene you're talking about. My make or break. I think I might go with. Although it's later in the film, I, I, I might go with the um, Lee Marvin, Glenn Ford scene in the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that one really – like I was with the movie from almost right at the beginning. 
Um, but at that point, it was just a really great scene, and I, I, it's just a great standoff. And um, the the other thing that got my attention right away, there's a scene where Glenn Ford has to go to this bar and question the bartender, and he's given him absolutely nothing. You know, he's just like, yeah, I haven't seen anything, I haven't heard anything, basically, which he gets from so many people. And then, you know, he's, he hangs around the bar and sees that the guy makes a phone call, and, and, and you know... There's a great line where you know he's like, Who, "Who'd you just call?" He's like, "Oh, I called my mother." And he he the the, the guy in question had just called Lagana, I think, to tell him you know the cop was looking was poking around, and so you know at the end he sort of berates the guy and says, "You know, tell that to your mother or whatever." You know, knowing full well that that's not who he was talking to. So that that to me is a scene that early on sort of sets that tone, that hard boiled tone, really well. Um, so one of those two is is a really great make or break for me. Um, I'm going to give it to Ford as much as uh, MVT, as much as, uh, like you said, the ensemble is really great. But um, Ford is just such a badass in this for me. Just sort of, uh, you know, you, if you're used to him from, say, Superman or something like that, I mean, this is this is a whole different ball game, And uh, he really pulls it off uh, really well. Um, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go eight, eight, two, five out of ten also. Um it's it's a really really solid film and well worth seeking out. I'm really glad you enjoyed it, and uh, I'm glad it, it's one of the early, maybe the first, like you said, noir that you guys have we've covered on the show, and um, that's just really neat. That that was one that I had had in mind for a long time, like back and forth on you know when to cover it, you know if it would be something that would be something that, that the um, fans of the show would like, and the, I just recently was like, yeah, this is it. This is the one. This is Totally. Start, so. Oh no, it totally was. And I, just one more thing: you talk about Ford being a badass, but the the thing that elevates him is he's badass with humanity. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I was thinking, you know, the the hard boiled dialogue, you know, it makes me think of stuff like Schwarzenegger and whatnot. Um, you know, there's there's less humanity in in a Schwarzenegger film, so like that's a whole different kind of badass. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is, the, like you say, backed up, and it and it really makes it resonate in this way that I don't know is really affecting. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so there you go, man. You got some pretty good scores from the GGTMC 8.25s across the board. Um, we're going to take a short break and come back with uh, a badman of a different era, uh, Alain Delon and Tony Arzenta. So we will be right back. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the palaver.com forums. Yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Oh, yeah. 
right, here we are. It is time for our second review. I was trying to get away from saying we are back, because I know whenever I lead in, I always say we're back. Uh, and I brought it up, and I still said it somehow, so that's the way it goes. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are back, and we're going to get into a film that I, full disclosure, I quite love. Um, it's one that, you know, Roop's been a hard nut to crack as far as <laughs> getting him to write Valentine's to uh, Italy for the Eurocrime genre. He's He's been very selective about that. So before we get into our review, let me ask you, man, you know, because there's some films that I've, you know, gotten just this boner city for. And you've been like, yeah, it was all right, man. It was all right. So let me ask you, what are some of the Eurocrime films that you've liked thus far? Um, what was it? You mentioned Almost Human. I remember you guys were talking yes. about me on the show. Almost Human is great, is good, you know. And I love um, the uh, Manhunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 Milia trilogy in general, but but um, Manhunt might be. Wait, now Manhunt is different. I'm than, that's different than Ill Boss. That's two yep. different movies. Right? Okay, so so Manhunt and Wipeout, Ill Boss. Those yes. two are great. I think I think here's here's my thing with with. Um, the, the euro crime is that when i see the craziness of a film like almost human mm-hmm. or or ill boss um uh with silva there i think I, once i see that once the ceiling is set we're like wow we're gonna fucking kick off the movie with a fucking rocket launcher in a movie theater yeah. um then once that's done then every time i'm watching an italian crime film i'm w- waiting for that that extra, that extra something that oomph that the Italians can bring to a film, where it's just like, wow, I didn't expect that, or that's a lot crazier than. And when they when they do a solid film, it's it's solid, but I think my expectations are set up now that I want that extra. It's all it's totally unfair. It's like I'm almost saying to them, you can't make a normal crime film. You have to do something wacky with it. You have to you have blow to do... forty dummies in a porno theater. Exactly. You have to do something <laughs> like that. Um, you know, but like you know what I'm thinking about. Like I think Tarantino would talk about. I think I, there's an interview he did with Elvis Mitchell that I've heard like way too many times. Um, right around the time Grindhouse came out, and he would, I think it's in that interview. I can't remember, but he would talk about the Italians, or maybe this was just an intro, an intro he did for Wipeout when he was screening it here in L.A. But he would talk about the Italians and how they would do crazy shit and how you know sometimes people get blown up in movies, but in the Italian film they'd blow them up and then they'd like zoom in on some dude's eye, like bubbling, yeah. <laughs> you know, shit like that. So I, and I've still yet to see that scene. Yeah. Um, but so, so there's those two things that the fact that I know that they're capable of the craziness and there's this idea that there's this crazy scene out there where somebody's eye is bubbling. Uh, I always want that extra, um, crazy. And, and, and so when a movie is just, uh, straightforward, I think my expectations are dashed just a little bit. So it, it's it's unfair. I have to be totally upfront. It's totally unfair, my expectations for these films. You know what I mean? No, no, that's so, good. I just wanted to know, because I don't think we'd ever out and out said why you had been, uh, you know what I mean, why you had approached it that way. So I was just, I wanted sure. to wrap my head around it. So Yeah, and it's it's totally unfair right out of the gate. I'll, I'll say that, you know. But but that's just, unfortunately, I think what, what holds me back a little bit is having seen s- some of the great ones. And the other thing is I saw some, some that I really loved early on and then sort of was kind of hoping that the bar was always going to be there. Yeah. And the same thing with spaghetti Westerns, you know, like, uh, I think I just want, it's almost like I want gore or I want, I don't know what I want (laughs) from these films. I'm trying to, I'm trying to put it as simply as possible in a way that I haven't even figured out yet, but you want it to be a nasty, like a nasty film basically. Yeah, I I kind of, I mean, I just, I want it to go somewhere that I wouldn't see an American film. That's very similar. Go. You know what I mean? Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, 
I got, should I read this uh, plot synopsis here? Uh, uh, you can if you want, or I can. It doesn't matter. It makes no difference. It's just a really. It's another really brief one. So, uh, although, yeah, no, this is fine. It says a mob hitman wants to retire, but his bosses don't think that's a good idea. Complications and many bloody shootouts ensue. Yeah, it might be the first time we've had two concise um, IMDb plot synopsis in one <laughs> yes. episode. So. Yes. The IMDb guys are smiling on us. So, yeah, this is one that I felt like it's really underseen. Like, hardly anyone talks about it outside of people that really love the genre. I'd never heard of it. Never heard of it. And it's upper echelon. It's not my favorite. It's probably not even in my top five. But it's 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 one I really fucking dig. And it's one that, because I know Sammy hadn't seen it and you hadn't seen it, and a lot of our viewers, or viewers, a lot of our listeners, I felt like, hadn't seen it, I wanted to get out there. And also it was an opportunity to get one of the kings of cool Alain Delon back on the show. Yeah, and he's great. Yeah, no, he certainly is. So, and Ducho Tassari is a director that really um, doesn't get a lot of praise. Like he, he's he's a pretty underrated director. He did a pretty good jolly. Um, oh, what is it? The Bloodstained Butterfly, I think it's called. Let me try to look oh, at wow. it. Oh wow! Of course, I haven't seen that. It's uh, the Bloodstained Butterfly. That's right. It's really stylish and it's it's a good one, man. It's uh, it's really good. Uh, Helmut Berger's in it. Uh, Ida nice. Galli. How much has Helmut Berger been on the GGTMC, by the way? You know what? I don't know that he's ever been. Maybe once. Interesting. That's kind of a shame. You know, Beast with the Guns coming down the pipes. There's a few yeah, I was going to say that's got to be in in the canon for anyway. Yeah, no, I like it, and I want to I want to fight it, fight for it, because I know some people don't really dig it, but I I enjoy it. Um, but yeah, so I mean, this film and Dutra Tassar I think needs a little more a little more love. So I wanted to throw this out there, and this one's hard to find. It should be said, like. There's been like a, a cut Japanese laser disc print of this running around. There's one that came with like a Greek newspaper or something. It's just unfortunate this one's been a kind of harder to track down. Um, I talked to a good friend of ours. Um, I've lost my pen somewhere now. Uh, I talked to a good friend of ours um, who's in a position to maybe make it happen where this can this can come out on DVD and you know I, I don't know if it was just kind of like you know yeah I'd love that too or. You know, I'd love that too, and it's going to happen. But no, hopefully, cool. hopefully it'll happen. So we'll see. But anyway, I picked this film, and without further ado, I would love to hear what you thought of it. Um, let's see what, what, what I got for my notes. Or did you want me to lead off? Would that be better? if you could? Then yeah, 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 totally, man. I'll totally jump in as we go. I've, yeah. I've got some notes on this one for sure. Yeah, totally. Where the fuck is my pen, Ruth? Let's <laughs> let the bloodhounds. Oh man. All right, let me just uh, get a different pen then. That's a color that will make my eyes hurt this early in the morning. Okay. So, yeah. And Alain Delon's been on our show once before with Le Circle Rouge. Really one of the coolest guys of all time. I mean, I know one of our listeners, I want to say it was Eric. Although I could be wrong. Had a Facebook question he posed to his friends. And it's ironic now that I think about the way this episode was programmed. He said, who would you rather have in a heist with you, Alain Delon or Lee Marvin? And, oh, that's funny. And I said Dallon all the way. Not to say I like Dallon more, but when it comes to heist, man, I mean, you got to yeah. go with Dallon. Yeah, no, I mean, Marvin is like, Marvin can be cool, but He's Marvin can be a lot of things. hothead, shoot his way out of a jungle. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's no, funny. I would say, you know, I got to go with Dallon in that situation, too. Yeah, cool as ice, man. One of the, one of the icons of French film, you know, specifically his work with Melville, obviously, in the 70s. Um and interestingly, he was, you know, he's a, Johnny Toe's a huge fan of, of Delon. In fact, he tried to get him to be in Vengeance, but it just didn't quite work out. But um, anyway, so, yeah, this was a film that, you know, you can find it. I'm sure if you look around, you'll be able to track it down online. It is going, uh, it is out there. Um, you know, 
Dillon, as much as he's a guy who always played a cool customer, early on we see some scenes again in this that, that really we get behind his character. Like um, in this, you know, we can see it's his son's birthday, and that's how the, the movie opens up. It's his youngest son's birthday. And we can kind of see the look in Dillon's eyes and the look in his son's eyes, and there's an exchange with them, and he says, you know, I love you, my son, may you have many more. And, and it's, you know, partially I'm a mark for stuff with sons because I'm a father. <laughs> Let's just get that out. So any, yeah, sure. no, any excuse for me to get weepy over something like that, I'm going to. But I feel like the one's guy who, who who made his mark playing cool characters who were a bit detached. And I feel like he showed a bit of a vulnerability and, and the kind of a wistfulness that his son getting older there uh, in that moment. And again, I may be making too much out of it, but I felt like it was a good little moment to set the film off and give Dolan's character some humanity. Uh, you know that's interesting. I, I, somehow I didn't get that that when I saw it, but I totally can see how it could it could be there. You know what I mean? Like I and maybe maybe we've got a, a, an interesting dichotomy here. And in, in the movie that I chose unintentionally um, has a, a father daughter relationship, <laughs> and yours has a father son. It's I totally didn't even think about yeah, it. Yeah, that's but wild, it definitely man. it definitely affected me. I mean, I'll, I'll I can't deny that you know um, him reading to his daughter, talking to his daughter. I mean. I'm right there. I'm right there with that immediately, emotionally, subconsciously, or not. It's so. So I will say that maybe, maybe that um, was an emotional component that didn't get me right away, for, for whatever reason, um, because I, I couldn't, I couldn't see the things you're seeing right off the bat. But totally makes sense. Right, right. No, that's it's so odd, man. That we look at that, and like you said, that that's the not way. Not at all. Happened. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't think it's odd at all. I just think it's an interesting thing. Well, that, interesting, I guess, would be more accurate. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Wow. And there's other things like if you've seen both these films, there's there's big reveals in both of them that it just we didn't know we couldn't. It was a known. good double. It was a good double. I'll say that. It is a good double. Um, so like a lot of great Euro primers, this opens up with kind of like the, the 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 drive through the city and and this is actually a really great one, man. I got to tell you, one of the things I like about Tassari as a filmmaker is he he operates a little bit differently than some of the other guys. Like a lot of times the guys hit the same beats. They're they're driving through Naples. They're driving through the cities during the daytime. You can kind of see some of the grime. But what's great about this is when they're shooting this stuff in the car, we're seeing it's, it's nighttime. There's a lot of neon city shots. And, and there's almost like this melancholy kind of sad theme um, over the opening of the film, which, you know, usually you get kind of this pulsing kind of, you know, more upbeat theme. And uh, like a lot of the choices in this film, I really thought it was a bit unorthodox as far as the genre went. But I really liked it. Yeah, no, no, he he definitely has a great visual flair that um, is is evidenced even more in the action scenes later in the movie. Um, that yeah, it starts to come out even as early as that that opening scene that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, Gianni, oh, oh, interestingly, Gianni Ferrio did uh, some of the original music for Inglorious, or not the original, probably adapted, obviously. Or taken for *Inglorious Bastards*. What did I wonder? Oh, what that's he, cool. He's worked on 119 titles. Oh, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff that we would uh, our our listeners are familiar with, um, including the ripoff. Yeah, sorry. He worked with Luciano Riccoli, a bunch of uh, uh, directors that we admire. Um, so anyway, what is this? Okay, I'll tell you, man. This this film, one of the opening scenes, because Dolan's character is a hitman, uh, as you said when you synopsized the film, he has to go to this, uh, this like the spa, to kill this guy, and the steam and the sweat in this fucking place is turned <laughs> up to not turned up to eleven, it's turned up to fourteen. Like 
you can tell that lens wasn't just fogging. Like, that lens was, like, melting. <laughs> it was so hot in that room when there's, like, this boss with, like, this... I think it was with a chick. Um, it's just so hot. And Delon's still rocking the suit. <laughs> it's just insane, man. It's just insane. Yeah, but no, he uh, pulls that off. He definitely pulls that off. And it's funny. I, I could be wrong. And I might be just thinking this because because genre of film and location, but it reminded me there's a spot. Have you ever seen the movie Milano Ravente or Gang War in Milan with Antonio Sabato? I don't think so, no. It's one of, it's, I have one of my favorites uh, in the genre. Oh, okay. Cool. I really like it. Some people, they're kind of lukewarm, and I really dig it. Um, but there's a spa that Sabato's character freaking for. I think a, a prostitute turns up dead in the in the spa at some point. But this looks like the exact same spa as the spa from that. i got to wonder if it was. Maybe it's even, yeah. It could be. Um... I love, you know, early on, again, Delon's played these kind of characters many times, the cool criminals, but I think at this point he had a bit of an awareness, and maybe it was either Tassari's direction or just Delon himself, but I love how there's almost like this, like this humorously mundane kind of feel when he's killing the people, like it's almost like this, meh, just kind of throws up his gun and shoots them, like it's, and he's got a bit of a smirk on his face. Yeah. Like those first few killings that just felt like, nah, this it's just such old hat for him. You know, <laughs> he's been there so many times, he's just kinda like, Okay, let's get this over with and But he's so pro about it. That's what yeah. I just love it's just like he he just comes off as the cool professional, you know, in in the way that he it's great the way that he can I, I can't even put my finger on it, but just the way that he fires the gun, the way yes. that, you know, everything he does, it's just it's really subtle but effortlessly you know, cool and just it's it just absolutely. pro, just a total pro. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, this film's got a pretty pretty good Euro cast. We've got good old Richard Conti, who showed up in a lot of Italian films at the time. Uh, Carla Gravina, Mark Perel, who's you know, is a guy quite like, uh, you know, um, lived like a cop, like a man, the psychic. He did a lot of work. Uh, at the time. Oh, the psychic, nice. I like yeah. that. That's one yeah, of was. Jeez. I think he was the husband in that one. I want to say, or he was the friend. No, wait, he was the friend of the psych, of the... Um, Fuck, how did that go now? I can't remember now. I'll, I'll forget. I think he was... Am I mixing up? The psychic was the one where there was the black cat behind the wall, no? Yeah. So I think he was friends with... Uh, you know what? Forget it, man. I'm going to jump off because... Like, no worries. No worries. Yeah, dude, I wanted to, dude, let me just say briefly where we're on Fulci for one second. My friend that was visiting me uh, from New York, they went to a, a, a midnight screening of The Beyond... Um, he and his girlfriend, and this was two days ago, and neither of them had seen it. Oh, wow. Um, and he fucking hated it. <laughs> which yeah. is, which <laughs> is too bad. And and they aren't that familiar with Fulci. Like, they know, they're really big cinephiles, but, you know, so they're aware of almost everything, but they just hadn't seen it. But anyway, not to get too off track, but, but I was like, yeah, no, I could see how maybe, you know, a midnight show of that, you know, might be a long wait to the interesting stuff, but... I, you know, I like it, and I was just trying to explain to him the other stuff of Fulci's that I like. I talked about the psychic too, but anyway. Yeah, the psychic's cool. I think it's it is good, man. But it's you know, you should you should tell him to watch Don't Torture a Duckling or yeah. No, I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna follow up. I, it wasn't a good introduction for my friend. He, he was not happy. But yeah, anyway. that's that's anyway, fair. Sure. No, that's funny, man. I could see. I could just almost picture them just hating it. But you know, <laughs> well, his girlfriend was. I think. She was more in the mood for like the fun, uh, you know, fanboy atmosphere that that the New Beverly sometimes has for a midnight show like that, and uh, midnight. I mean, fanboy slash, you know, heavy metal type dudes. Yeah, and, right. Or, 
you know, people wearing uh, zombie T-shirts and whatnot. Anyway, um, but uh, sorry, didn't mean to get no, you. No, 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 man. It's all good. Richard Conti, this is one of my favorite Richard Conti performances. He always he's, plays. He's really good. I really like him a lot in, in a lot of movies, but he is very good. He's great, man. He always plays the boss in these films because he's an mm-hmm. older dude, right? He's got that certain gravitas. He's just he's a bit different. But you know what he almost reminded me of in this is like if Silva was a boss, he was almost like this. Yeah, he's really got a, a Silva vibe to him, like an older Silva Kind of, you know, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, if people like him in this, I would say seek out a, you know, speaking of noir, seek out a noir called The Big Combo with, oh, wow. him, with him and Richard Conti. Um, really great shit. From the director of Gun Crazy. Sorry, uh, who, who and Richard Conti? Uh, um, I'm, I'm sorry, with, um, uh, oh man, what's his name? Uh, Naked. Um, Ornell Wilde and Richard Conti. Oh, okay, right, right. Sorry. Um, okay. My bad, but anyway, that's a great, and he plays the heavy in that too, and it's a, it's an interesting, uh, it's a similar role to this, but he's he's even he's even meaner. So, oh, nice, nice. Stuff. But yeah, Mark Prell, we talked about, um, Carla Gravina, I think we mentioned Erica Blanc, one of my main girls, Rosalba Neri shows up for a hot minute. Um, <laughs> Silvano Tranquilli, I mean, it's got a pretty good Euro cast. I get to mostly Italians, so it's a good cast. Um, there's a I love you know one of the things I like about this film that separates it from a lot of the Eurocrime films and one of the things I like about Eurocrime is you know sometimes I like watching like the Mr. Scarfaces um, which is uh, more kind of like low level criminals uh, that's a good friend of the Leo one it's got a few AKs um, it's got it's like low level criminals who are collecting money from like people and stuff it's just low level whereas this one you really get the sense that a lot of the movers and shakers in in the European crime world are involved in this film hence the aka big guns yeah no no no, that's totally you're right you're right because this film has like a globe trotting or at least a euro trotting feel to it it's in different countries and you know you you get the sense that dylan really is an important part of uh his the crime family or the the organization that uh he works for and i love that you get the negotiation with dylan conti because dylan says he wants out and you really get the sense of it being like a business type thing. It, it doesn't feel like this kind of gritty, rompy thing. It feels really like business more than anything that they're talking, this air that they have about it. It's like, I want to retire basically. And it's just more business sense than, I don't know. It, it just had a bit of a different vibe. It got a more upscale vibe to it in that sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and it's inter- interesting, the sort of business slash personal um, scenario that plays out in that scene. It's like, you know, Delon understands. Cause, cause I think, you know, what is Conti says the usual bit about like, you know, well, you can't, that's not going to, that's probably not going to work out. You know, yeah. think about what you know and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, that's bullshit. You know, like. Oh, use that line on me. You're going to use that line on me? Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like, come on, we're friends. This is, let's bring this to the more personal you and I level and not about the business. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, let, let's talk, let's talk straight. I, I, I want out. And, and that's an interesting scene, you know, and it's sort of like. And Conti in the scene is, is very much – I think he, he responds to that and sort of like, well, you know, I'll, I'll see what I can do. You know, it's not just me, but, you know, it's it's a good scene. I, I like the way that played out. Yeah, it was good, man. Two great yeah. actors. Yeah, definitely. And my pen was behind my ear the whole time. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. And Mark Perella should be said in this one. He's he's really Bronson, like a mechanic-era Bronson look going on with like <laughs> the catfish stash and like the shag hair. 
Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Sweet. Absolutely. I don't know Absolutely. if I, I don't know if I've ever seen him with a, with a stash like that before. It's interesting. Another guy that died too young. Um, and yeah, I just I like how this you know then there's that one scene when when Pearl or Pearl when uh, Conti goes to meet with the other sort of heads of their families, and this isn't like an Italian thing. This is like a European thing because there's a German family there. Like this, this is like heavy duty kind of bigger crime. Like it's almost like the representative for Italy, the representative for Germany. Blah blah blah. Yeah, it's like the the um, mob UN or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Absolutely, but I like how when I guess that scene and they're talking about him wanting out. It felt like that scene in Scarface when like all the big players are there. Yeah. That's what if I wondered if De Palma had seen this because he's a big fan of seventies Italian film, right? So. No, yeah, I I would think. Yeah, I mean, it would make total sense. Yeah, and again, I mean, it's got it's got some actors that he would certainly be a fan of, you know, both Conti and. Uh, you know, and absolutely. Um, again, we talked about this with um, Ford's character, but I love the affection he shows his son. Again, it wasn't, you know, maybe as sweet as um, Ford's with his daughter, but it it wasn't like this. Again, this macho fucking comic book superhero either. You know, like you tell he cares about. Like I love the scene when the son comes up to the apartment when he's sleeping and he grabs his arm and he's like, what are you doing? And he's just kind of, you know, and he looks at the window, he's watching his son and stuff and kind of through bleary eyes. It's like when you have kids, you know, before that, like nothing's going to make your ass get out of bed. When you have kids, just to get a glimpse of your kid, unaware that you're watching them just kind of playing and being free spirited. You know, he took that moment to take it. And uh, yeah, just a good scene. And I think that, you know, once people have seen both of these films, I would love to talk to them about the irony in, in programming them together, like we've already said a few times. <laughs> For sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. Um, and again, I would argue against reading too much about this film before you go in. Um, which I didn't, so so I was in good shape, which is cool. Good, good. Uh, one of the things that that Desari uses a lot in this film, that to great effect, is the fog. I, I want to say I was trying to pin down if this was either. Like, when it was, like, was it late, late, late winter? You know, because there's no leaves on the trees or anything. It was really foggy, and people were kind of dressed as if it was, you know, a little colder. Was it early, early spring? Like, it's right, you know, was it about a month apart? I couldn't write, quite decipher it, but a lot of fog and stuff in this. And it just, I think it worked really well in the film. Give it a movie yeah. feel. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. There's one shot I don't want to talk about. God, I wish I could, because it's... You know, I can't. I can't without spoiling it. I'll have to just, as much as I want to talk about that with you, I won't. Um, and in Peckinpah-esque slow motion, we get the destruction of a flower stand during a first-rate car chase. Yeah, I was going to say the car chases in the movie um, uh, are pretty, pretty solid. And, and there's a good one really early on that um, really got my attention. Like I was talking about the camera work. He does some car mount stuff. That oh, yeah. That I think is, to be honest, I don't know. I haven't maybe seen enough of these films, but I feel like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of in the car stuff is common for these in my in my experience, and then a lot of uh, high angle or side angle cars passing by kind of stuff. Usually, that's how it's shot. But this does some some other stuff where you know we've got car mounts on the front of the car, on the back. I think if I recall. Yeah. Um, so he definitely is more creative, and and that and it's felt. You know, I mean, it makes the the chase more effective. Uh, and there's a good there's a good jump stunt, you know. Oh man, uh, there is totally. Yeah, so so that's that's a fun one. And I love the I love the old like 
um, jump stunt and, you know, car lands and, you know, obviously in real life, that car is totally fucked. (laughs) But of course they're still going and then you get the old, are you okay? Oh yeah, no, I'm okay. And then they just sort of go, (laughs) which I always love about that. They're, They're sort of acknowledging. Yeah, that was kind of a difficult one. We'll just make them make the audience aware that we know it was difficult and have the characters actually ask each other if they're okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is always funny. No, for sure, man. That acknowledgement is great. They got to concede something. And, you know, yeah, it just, there's something to be said, as we said many times in the past, for, for well executed, well shot, well choreographed stunt work. And the visceral thrill we got from this jump, I've seen jumps a lot higher and more insane in current films and the one i always talk about the bruce willis haircut in the new die hard the newest album like the car <laughs> the bruce you know, willis haircut that's what i gotta call that the that's bruce, great bruce willis haircut uh that stuff you would think would be more part heart racing but it's not because it's so absurd whereas that jump in this you're like holy fuck man this is crazy there's guys driving these cars and you know it's just wild but um, like even to the point where you see like there's a beetle in this that gets fucking mangled like a Kleenex box. Yeah, that thing gets really nailed. That thing got wrecked, man. Just completely wrecked. Um, and just the way it's th- – that's a fantastic fucking scene because it's edited so well and with the roar of the engine and you can just feel the own seething rage when he's like – his driving is – and the roar of that engine, it embodies his fucking rage in that scene. Yeah. No, I agree. Just, yeah, that's just a fantastic scene. Sorry, technically and, and viscerally, it just it pays off completely. Absolutely, no, absolutely, and, and and he does it a couple times. There's a there's some really great um, action bits in this, and there's a bit, and, and maybe I'm getting a little ahead of my of where we're at, but there's a bit with a switchblade. Um, oh yeah, a, it's sort of a, a diving thing. Um, <laughs> Which is fucking really that really got I gotta say that was one where I was like oh yeah <laughs> you know, kind of got my attention kind of thing you yeah know? good because it just sort of it was like oh fuck you know what's he gonna do and yeah and and just the, the fact that Delon because he's getting older mm-hmm. um, is 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 sort of nimble enough and and has the the physicality of can carry out the physicality of a performance like this um, oh, for sure is is pretty is quite a tribute to him as an actor. Oh, definitely, man. Definitely. And poor Lucio, speaking of Lucio, I mean, the fog got so thick on at one moment, it's like they drove <laughs> out of the set of Conquest. You see that part I with like that? Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I definitely saw a couple of that. Immediately, like, the, the, the word Fulci fog was just flashing <laughs> in my head. Just yeah. sort of like, you know. They were really in the soup, man. It was really thick. Um, there's again some more scenes where I think this this score works well. It's it's a lot of times in these they would go for that that pulse pounding kind of that score that's going to ramp you up and really get you going. But in this it they worked with a lot more kind of melancholy and sadder music and moodier music, which I think was intentional considering when it's set in this moodier foggy kind of time of year. But there's a few scenes where that there's some music and Delon is reminiscing on some things that have happened and and again I'm being intentionally vague um, and you get an actor like Delon who can pull that off because he does a lot with his eyes and an apprehensive gesture or you know things like that and it's just that economy we get from an actor like him that, that is good in this, a time when you know some people would take it over the top and, and it just it, there's a, a break or a disconnect yeah no he really there's I have a note here that Delon says fuck off in a really cool way yeah he does man it's really, he has to say it at one point and, and it's just like this 
man, it was really good. Uh, like, I just don't know if I've heard an act- actor say fuck off. <laughs> being as cool as that, it was pretty pretty great, I gotta say. No, it's true, man. It's true, and of course, this wouldn't be an Italian movie without the JMB. <laughs> I yeah, missed white, it. Where was it? Where was there, it? Was, there was a few scenes. There was a white label JMB um, when he's sitting down. Who's he sitting down with? His friend that runs the bar or like the, the club. Nice. There's a scene of that. There's two or three scenes of it, but no, I you know I just got the radar up. Um, <laughs> Perel's a pretty good sidekick. You know, I don't want to say too much, but his he's the kind of actor. I don't think he's quite good enough to carry a film, but he always makes a good, likable sidekick. You know, he had an unfortunate. Ah, I don't want to say too much. Yeah, no. There's a great torture scene, um, with a blowtorch. Yeah. Not to give away too much, but that's a really good scene. I gotta say, like, I hadn't seen that kind of thing done, um, and it was genuinely effective, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely sets up. I mean, because the the bad guys are definitely bad. Oh but, yeah. But it was one of those things where they sort of took it up a notch. I was like, oh, okay. Just That's the kind of stuff you you probably dig, man. The yeah, and it was, and it was definitely a scene where I was like, okay, this is this is kind of what I'm looking for, you know, as far as, you know, the delivering. I, I will say for me, there there's a not to give away too much, but there's a the last maybe 15 minutes mm-hmm. of the film dragged a little bit. Just yeah. Because I feel like it, it gets to a point where the film could end, mm-hmm. and and then there's um there's some waiting that I didn't feel like the film needed. Uh, That's fair. And, and 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 then the ending, not to give anything away, but it, you know, I could just sort of feel sort of something coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I couldn't say what, so I, I got to give it that. But um, but anyway, that's 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 a minor, uh, ultimately a relatively minor thing. But 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 I was just thinking of that in in relation to that great torture scene. You know, when me wanting that to be more towards the end of the film, and it ends up there's a little bit more after that than I expected. Yeah, no, no, that's for sure, man, for sure. Um, there's a couple scenes when, like, the organ playing is just ramped up. What's that called? There's there's a brand of organ. Yeah. That's really uh, popular um, back in the 70s. Wurlitzer, or, uh, that's what I was thinking, it, too, but maybe I don't... Maybe that's it. I'm not, I'm not or sure. Is Wurlitzer a record? record? Oh, fuck. I, I don't think it is Wurlitzer, but I know it's funny you said that, because that's what I was thinking, too. The, yeah, it's, it's it may not be that. Yeah, a lot of people used it. But anyway, they were just really going wild with the organ at a few points, but... I love there's the one bad guy. It's the guy who's who's overly arrogant, and he says at one point, Arzent is just a piece of dog shit I want wiped off my shoe. Yeah. You know, is that the same guy that says to his girlfriend, um, she says, when are you, you going to get your mind out of the gutter? And he said, I like the gutter. It's where I found you. Yes, yes. The same guy. That guy's same got guy. a couple good zingers. Yeah, he does. That's the guy that, that uh, he meets up with Delon on the train, I think. Yes, that's a good bit too. That I liked a lot too, actually. That is a good bit. And it's like, you know, this guy's talking this shit. It's like, motherfucker, have you not seen any Melville films? Do not know what you're <laughs> up against here. Well, and that was a great bit in the train too, because, um, and I don't know, I haven't done a lot of train travel, especially not European train travel, but the idea that you can go into a tunnel and be in the tunnel for a little while and everything's dark uh, and the lights are flickering. And it's a great, just a great setup for a scene. It is. It does get a very cinematic, a very tense kind of unsure footing. Um, you get that that sense of you almost want to reach out and like in the dark and kind of grasp at things yourself. It, it's really good, absolutely. Um, there's not a great, you know, one thing I, that I always a quibble I always have with with Eurocrime films, as much as I love them, is is the kind of the seemingly um, like the laissez-faire attitude towards using squibs. 
people, when people get shot. <laughs> Some films where it's like, it takes me to the moment because guys are getting mowed down and it's like they just kind of clutch themselves and there's no squib. Whereas this is pretty faithful. It has a lot of good squib work. Yeah. A lot, and no, there's, a, there's a great splatter against the train window and some dummy brutality with a, with a dummy <laughs> that Silva <laughs> yeah, would admire. That is some good dummy brutality, definitely. Oh, man, that, that dummy gets that. worked. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how there, there's an attachment and how it how it kind of doesn't fall completely. It, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I thought there was one of the things I always find interesting that I don't know a lot about beyond very surface stuff is some of the provincial talk. You know, Napolitana. The, he'll, he's Roman. He does things this way. He's a Sicilian. You know, there was a, just slight shades of that in this, which I, you know, you find a lot in Deleo's work. But I always find it interesting to see because I think a lot of times when we think about Italy, much like any country, it's no different than saying, you know, you as a Midwesterner are different from someone from the South or different from an East Coast person. Things we kind of forget sometimes when we look at films from other countries because we approach them with broad strokes, I think, sometimes culturally. Yeah. Um, and I, again, I talked about this, I love this one's really pan European feel. Um, with uh, a lot of the, the, you know, I know it's in, I think, Denmark, Switzerland, Italy, I think maybe Germany. Um, it just has a really great feel, man. Like, you know, it's just in a lot of cool places in Europe. Um, there's a guy in this. He's a he's a he's a German character actor named Anton Differing. He was one of the heads of like the crime syndicate. He looks like an old Rudger Hauer. You know, <laughs> I missed guy, that. I mean, That's cool. Yeah, this guy is Anton Differing. You'd know him if you brought him up on IMDb. He's got a look. He looks just like uh, poor guy. He he fled Nazi Germany, and the only work he could get in Europe after the fact was was his not like really dastardly Nazis because he's got that really refined Germanic look with piercing blue eyes. So kind of the irony at it. But you know, Wait, he's, what's his name again? Anton Differing. Okay. Uh, A n t o n d i f f r i n g. Nice. You'd know. Yeah, you'd know him to see him uh, once you, you bring him up. Um, Erica Blanc, uh, actually I'll just leave that out. Um, the great POV from the car, there's a car, but like, someone gets executed and the bullet, you see it from the back, I think the back window, and like the, the back of their head gets blown out with a squib. It was pretty good. Um, and yeah, just, just how visceral and how they punctuate a lot of the violence in this film, whether it's from car crashes or bullets. I, I really admire that. You know, it really keeps you in the moment. No, this is, this is a good point. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, for Eurocrime film, I felt like this had a pretty good script, like some of the, some snappy dialogue. Like there's the moments when um, Delon's friend, he goes to see that owns the club, the nightclub. He goes, oh, you know, I'm just a little fish. He's talking to the guys and they say, what do you know about him? And you know, I'm just a little fish. I don't need much water. And just some of the stuff, uh, you know, some of the dialogue. He said some of the zingers from the one one asshole about finding his girlfriend in the gutter. And I just thought it was, it was pretty good. You know, is it, you know, the greatest script of all time? No, but I think it's certainly pacey and zippy and and smart enough for the for the for the genre as it's a genre uh, film. Um, what's this? Oh, there's a pretty great shot of a junkyard in this. And one of the things I like about this one, Bri, is that it shows sort of it juxtaposes scenes with boardrooms and the guys in suits with the low level criminals in junkyards and pool halls and scrapyards where their thugs do the dirty work. Look like how it kind of contrasts those two in this film. Yeah, no, that, that is pretty cool. And I, I don't think I've seen that in another Eurocrime, Eurocrime film that, that I can think of. Um, 
I mean, you get the yeah. scrapyard and manhunt and a few others, but just the yeah, way yeah. that thing is. Yeah, yeah, that juxtaposition you're talking about, definitely. Yeah, I do like the junkyard slash scrapyard as a location for um, thuggy activity. If yeah. you, it's it's yeah. a good Italian thing that I really I really dig. Yeah, they use that claw, man. That claw always gets worked. Yeah, that it's is fantastic. good stuff. That I do like. Uh, finally, at an hour twenty three and thirty seven, my girl Rose Albanieri shows up. She, I think, she's in one scene, man. She says something like, "Where's your son?" Or she talks to her the one guy that like he's like her boyfriend or her husband. It's uh, it's too bad. I want more Rose Albanieri, but uh, there's some fish tank trauma in this one. Oh, that was good. That was definitely good. Yeah, I know. There's a guy on the Love Lock and Load, which is a great Euro crime and Euro uh, message board and a website. It should be said, really great people over there. Um. His gif is Delon shooting out that fish tank. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, that's cool. Uh, interesting commentary to have the priest as the mediator between the crime families. I think a lot of times, especially in Italy, you know, priests were, were certainly held in very, very high regard and, and not just in the church members of the community because the community was so involved with the church. So I thought that was an interesting aspect of the film that, you know, that's how uh, the priest was in this. Um. And there's a wedding scene at the end. It's it's very tense. It's kind of got that you know moment of reckoning, much like Godfather had. As things are happening, the, the sort of the wheels are in motion for a lot of things that have happened up until this point to play out. So I thought that was interesting, um, and I just love the sense of the Italian country again, the countryside now, because there's a few moments when Delon goes back home to visit his parents, and you know we get this sense of geography uh, with the old church and the old kind of farm and and the countryside of Italy. Um, and I really like that. And I just, you know, I like that this film, it looks at a lot of the criminals. And I think it's kind of a, in a way, a criticism of crime families at the time were, were, were changing. They were going from honor and this and that to drugs and very cutthroat, uh, and ruthless. Um, it was the way the world was going. So they, I mean, they had to kind of shape up or ship out. And I think, again, it shows a man with a moral code, who you know realizes some things and wants to change and and things aren't going to go as, as smooth as planned. But anyway, those are all my notes. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think I've sort of gone through all the stuff that uh, that I noted here. I'm just trying to see if there's anything cool, jazzy score. Yeah, there's one bit of score where there's a sort of hiding out scene and it's this sort of odd, dopey music that kind of was an interesting choice. I, I wasn't. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember that scene mm. or no? Off the top of my head, it's sort no. of like a, it almost reminded me of maybe like the beginning of um, Fistful of Dynamite, you know? Oh yeah. But, but it wasn't. But there was no vocals. It was. But it was just sort of. I don't know. It, it's just an odd choice. But um, but yeah, overall, just you know, pretty solid, pretty solid action. And uh, you know, I, I'd be curious to see more more films from this guy. If you have other ones that you'd like, I would definitely. You know, check those out. Yeah, I've seen three or four. Uh, I have the. Blood this is your favorite of the of the ones you've seen? It is, but you know, in saying that, um, I'm predisposed to. I have a you know a strong love for this genre, so that's kind of part of it. But no, that's cool. I just I'd be curious. He he, he definitely has a good eye. A couple spaghetti westerns, a shallow I could throw at you for sure. Cool, cool. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I, I'm curious about your um, your makes and breaks. 
Okay. What made it for me was just the globe-trotting aspect. Again, it's what distinguishes it from a lot of other Eurocrime films. I could have went with so many scenes. The scenes yeah, with there's the family. a lot of good stuff. Uh, I could have went with some of the kills, some of the executions. I could have went with the car chases. I could have went with a lot of things. But I just I really like that, that, you know, all over Europe because, you know, we're talking about a bigger family. So, or, you know, syndicate, like you said, the, the would you call them the Crime UN or something? Or the <laughs> Mob UN, which yeah, I think yeah, is great. Yeah. So I think that I liked it. It, it, it. You know, we're in different countries and stuff. And it kind of, you get that sense of Delon being a guy who has contacts in each of these cities that are going to be sympathetic to his cause, at least with him, even if they have to. They'll aid him as much as they can. Um, you know, I really like that. And my MVT, I'm going to go with the Sari, I think because he's crafted a Eurocrime film that is a little outside the box as far as what Eurocrime films normally do, mm-hmm. while still, you know, putting out a, a first-rate film. Uh, my score for the film is a 7.75 out of 10. Um, like I said, I really dig this film. Uh, strong recommend for me for people that have seen it or obviously have not seen it. Um, and that's it, man. Let me uh, kick it over to you. Cool, cool. Um, my make or break, I think I'm going to go with that first car chase because um, it definitely um, gets your attention right out of the gate and, and lets you know you know, you're in the hands of a, a filmmaker that's definitely a craftsman, you know, so it, really good eye, like I said. Uh, I'm going to give it to – my, my MVTs are always – they feel a little obvious, but, but, you know, paralleling my big heat choice, I'm going to go with DeLone nice. as an MVT in this one. He really – like as much as Steve McQueen, you know, is seen as a sort of pioneer of cool, I feel like Delon can go neck and neck with him any day. He's just For sure. a really fucking cool actor. Um, I'm gonna give it a seven two five out of ten. Cool. Um, definitely one of the better crime Euro crimes I've seen. I will say this: uh, I watched it. I had to watch it at work on my lunch, so um, I would. I think I'd like to revisit it uh, because there were definitely things I liked a lot about it. And I felt that drag in the last 15 minutes a little more, I think, because I was at work watching it um, versus how I would have felt if I'd watched it at home on the projected on the big screen. So I'd really like to give another look. I think my score might be higher the next time around, but it's definitely a recommend for me and, and, a, and a good uh, – I'm glad you recommended and chose this one you know, because – I'm always looking for a Eurocrime film to rival the ones that I already like, and this is definitely in that group. Yeah, because it's got some nasty stuff. It's got some cool stuff. It's got some of this well-executed. It, yeah, it's just it's a really solid entry of the genre. Strangely, not a lot of people talk about. So Yeah, like I said, never heard of it, but um, you know that's par for the course for me. I'm always learning stuff uh, from you guys about this, oh. these genres. So. That's why we're all here, man. We can, you know, we can help each other out. That's what it's all about. Cool. But uh, we're going to take a short break. You know what? We're going to take a short break, and I don't think we're going to do too much in the way of feedback because um, I did, wasn't able to get the voicemail and stuff all lined up on my end. So I think what we're going to do is just – you know what? Actually, forget it. I don't think we need to take a break because we're not going to do any feedback. So we're going to have one less break this week. Um, well, I don't think we're going to just jump right into our pleasantries and everything, Rube, because cool. yeah, feedback and stuff, we're not really at a point where – I couldn't prep for voicemails and stuff. Um, cool, cool, no worries. So, okay, Horror Hound's coming up. Hopefully, I don't. Although I don't know that you can, but it'd be awesome if you could get there. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but man, oh man, I, I it's it's on my radar and has been. It's something I really, really want to do at some point. Is Miles going? I, I heard Miles is going to be there. Yeah, too. Miles and Katie, I think. Or... So we got West Coast represents. Man, yeah, that's great. That's right, man. You you better give them, give them some, you know, a white leather tasseled purse to Katie to bring, <laughs> uh, and then some pants from Miles you can get from. I'm sure, sure that you can spare one pair. 
I would think I could, you know. Yes. I would think I could. You have an old West Coast represent. It's going to be good, man. It's uh, it's going to be, as always, a blast. That's in November. We're all, most of us are going to be there. I mean, I've been on Loaf's case to get uh, him and the Zom to come, so. Nice. Is Zom going to make it? Did he make like it? He better make it. Because he was an almost last year, wasn't he? Yeah, it was, you know, 11th hour, you know, uh, something happened. But I think I'd said it on the air a couple of times. I pulled into my hotel uh, and I saw a West Virginia plate in the parking lot. Oh. So I thought, oh, yeah, here we go. And then it wasn't him, but. Is Loaf in West Virginia, too? No, Loaf's in North Carolina, man. North Carolina, that's right. Okay, that's right. Yeah, it's Tar Heel. So. Nice, nice. Yeah, so hopefully those boys will be up there, and we'll see. A lot of other great people, of course, are going to be there. Um, now, speaking of great people, check out our show show. Our show show. <laughs> check out our sister shows, show show and OTC. Um, check out all of our friends over at Palantir. There's just so many amazing people over there. Um, so check them all out. Check out Hammockus. I'm going to be on there very soon, as I talked about. Cine Awesome, which uh, you were on recently. Well, I'm going to be, yeah. I'm, I think we're going to record uh, this this weekend, I think. So it oh, should I, thought, be... I thought you were on this last week that just passed. My mistake. Nope, not, not just yet. But but um, we're going to do a great double feature of um, the pack and Grizzly, a nice animal oh, attack. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> that they let, me, they let me choose. And I was very grateful to, to be offered the opportunity and, and to be able to pick a couple movies that I think are a lot of fun. So I, I highly recommend that show. I, I think I have before, but... Um, those guys are great. I like both of those guys a lot. If if you, it's it's as simple as this for everyone that's for some reason hasn't bought into what they're doing over there. Ask yourself this: Do you like the GTTMC? If your answer is yes, then go listen to Sin Awesome. Yeah, I mean, like really. they just did a uh, Steven Seagal uh, uh, episode, and and that, that's highly recommended. Highly yeah. recommended stuff. Amazing guys talk about the films we all love. They can bring the class. They can bring the trash. Um, you know, it, just great, great stuff. Um, speaking of great stuff, Paleo Cinema, as always. Oh, yeah. Mr. Frost comes correct. Terry does not disappoint. Never. Uh, Married with Clickers, again, another strong show. I know Sammy Absolutely. powered through uh, some back episodes. I'm still a few behind. I got to get caught up. Uh, Scott and Tad are amazing. They do a great show together. Um, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, V Cinema. Uh, podcast with honor and humanity, and of course the other show that's tied in with Sid Awesome, Criterion Cast. Um, check out Paracinema.net for our favorite couple in the NYC, uh, and subscribe to the Mighty Paracinema magazine. Check out NightmareTheater.blip.tv, our good friend Mike's channel for his uh, TV show where they host movies. And I should mention maybe now officially, sort of. Yeah, actually, you know, what? I didn't want to mention anything, but yeah, uh, no, I mean. That on us? Yeah, I just I thought you know it's about time because Mike and I have been talking for a while and and we're gonna we're gonna do our own show um, starting I think we're gonna we've been in the planning phases for like I remember you guys had said you, you it took you maybe about three months mm-hmm. once you started talking and and we're we're getting to the end of of about a three month cycle of of discussions and just general busyness as we both are very busy but we're we're gonna do our own show we're gonna I think we're gonna start it as a as a one uh, once a month, so hopefully we can keep people's attention once a month. But just as far as our schedules and everything, I think we don't want to get too ambitious out of the gate. Uh, but uh, but but yeah, we're, we're we're pretty excited about it. It's it's going to be some some offbeat um, uh, some offbeat movies that we're going to talk about, and some so we've come up with some ideas for some features that we think are kind of fun and that you know people will get behind. But uh, but Mike is a guy that I I've l- admired a lot. Uh, from his show and, and just his general taste in film. And so I'm excited to, to get involved and have a show with him. 
we're in an age when there's so many amazing people doing amazing things in, in the podcasting world, and I, I'm just happy to have great friends uh, that I hold in such high regard uh, that are doing good things. So I'm really hoping and pulling for you guys. Um, yeah, I hope I hope it won't be just another thing where people are like just be like, oh man, another one. I, I hope I really hope that people will give it a, give it a shot, and and uh, hopefully we can. Um, bring something interesting to the table. If you've listened to me on this show and you've listened to interviews, my interviews, your interviews, yeah, or and the interviews and whatnot. If you if you like what you've heard uh, between that and between Mike's show, um, uh, the podcast, the Dreaded Sundown, I, I feel like you, you know what you're kind of in for. So uh, you know that being said, I hopefully we'll bring something interesting to the table. That's that's our goal, obviously. And just remember, Rube, I like you, but you can never leave the organization completely. <laughs> You know far too much. <laughs> I do. I do know far too much, and I don't plan to. You know, I definitely Excellent. want to be part of GGTMC too. So. Yes, once a gentleman, always a gentleman. So no, I, it's going to be I, awesome. I would never want to surrender that status. So I anyway, never want you to. But let me ask you this, just to get people further pumped up: Aren't you guys going to do some things on the show? Not to reveal too much, where it's not just going to be movie reviews. There's going to be some other stuff in the works too, right? Yeah, there's okay. there's going to be little segments we've talked about, um, and I don't want to give away too much. But one of them is sort of like a a recommendation of uh some some item that's um gotten us excited and it's sort of movie related but it could be you know anything pop from kinda. yeah pop culture related it could be like i said i we're still in the formatting stage so i don't want to give away too much no. and then and then sound silly when it doesn't happen but 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 yeah it's definitely we're going to try and do some things that um we haven't heard as much and then obviously some stuff we have heard pretty regularly so um, but we, but, but Mike's got great taste. And so we've really lined up a bunch of, there'll, there'll be definitely some, what the fuck kind of movies in our, uh, in our canon of choices. And that's going to be some of the, the psychotronic out there kind of stuff that we're going to go for, I think. Oh um, yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, no, it's going to be good. And also check out, we are young monster, amazing people putting out amazing stuff. And we're going to start giving away those posters. First one will be with the machine gun McCain, uh, giveaway. So, and you can still get your entries in, put in, um, uh, diabolic giveaway and your name. And there you go. You're in, you're in it to win it next time we do one. So, uh, blogs we have, these are all dot blogspot.com. The GGTMC, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Fist of B-List, Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, and then these are different from Le Blog Spot, DeathRattle.net, Lightning Bugs Lair, CinemaSatori.wordpress.com. And as always, check out our friends and uh, people that associate with us from, I guess, a vendor standpoint, DiabolicDVD.com, Cinema-DE-Bazaar. Dot com promo code gentleman for 10% off your orders uh, omg-entertainment.com if you're in Europe that's certainly uh, the way to go for you uh, ggtmc10 for 10% off your orders and as always check out the mighty camera obscura you can friend us all on Facebook we're all uh, in the group gentlemen's guide to midnight cinema we're all admins um, so we can all talk and blah 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 over there twitter.com backslash ggtmc large william bob freelander pickle of 10 uncool cat and Aaron still doesn't have Twitter, so that's the way it goes. Speaking of Aaron, sorry, I was just trying to segue oh, for you. Let me let me say iTunes and donate, and then say speaking of Aaron. My apologies. Uh, that's okay. iTunes reviews would be great. We haven't had any in a while. It's nice to get some fresh ink up there about us. Um, and then donate. We have a donate button. You know, like Sammy said last week, we like to joke around and kind of make light of it. It doesn't. It's not free to podcast. You know, we're not obviously trying to get rich, but if we can at least you know have our um, 
or cost associated with that paid for. It's great. If not, then we understand times are tight. But if you can give even a dollar, two dollars, whatever you can give, by all means do so. If you want to write us a check and have us, you know, record from jet skis at Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas, I'm happy to do that too. <laughs> just saying. Um, and you were going to say something. Yes, I was just saying, uh, and speaking of Aaron. Speaking of, it's funny you should speak of Aaron because next week, if all goes well, we're going to have uh, one of the one of our dearest friends, uh, you know, a true gentleman exactly. in every sense of the word. He he's one of us, um, the guy that really put the wheels in motion for us to have a good-looking website. Puts a lot of hours in. Uh, he's you know one of the people that I, I've been most blessed to know through what we do. Uh, that's Aaron uh, of Death Rattle fame, the man with the the chair and the whip uh running our website uh for us and you know volunteered to do so uh and just keeps our shit tight and classy and trashy uh, <laughs> he's gonna be on the show next week hopefully we're gonna have another we're gonna drop a double deuce if all goes well and uh it's gonna be howling one and two so it's gonna be a very very good episode awesome and uh that's it man anything else you want to add before we go nope i'm all good sir we're all good. We're going to try to get some sleep. It's 5 a.m. Roop's time and 8 my time. I'll probably crawl into bed and then be woken up. Same here. So close and yet so far. Yes. But uh, that's it, man. So it was great, Roop. I had a great time this morning. My pleasure, sir. I had a great time, too. Awesome. So And thank you for the big heat. It was uh, very, very cool stuff. And I'm gonna... So glad you liked it, man. Yes, and I'm glad you dug Arzenta, man. I did. I Finally did. cracked that fucking <laughs> Yes. So, all right. So I think with that, we will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 